The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams Quintessential Phase The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy contains many contradictions on matters of fact and indeed fiction. Anything that happens, happens. But it's very clear upon one point. Nothing travels faster than the speed of light. Nothing, that is, with the possible exception of bad news, which obeys its own special laws. The hinge-freel people of Arkantufel Minor once tried to build spaceships that were powered by bad news, but they didn't work particularly well and were so extremely unwelcome whenever they arrived that there wasn't really much point setting off in the first place. The problem was that sublight spaceships, sent at great risk to do battle or business in distant parts, took thousands of years to get anywhere, and by the time they eventually arrived, assuming they ever did, the use of hyperspace travel had usually been invented so that whatever battles the ships had been sent to fight in the first place had been taken care of, centuries earlier. This didn't, of course, deter their crews from wanting to fight the battles anyway. They'd had a couple of thousand years sleep and they'd come a long way to do a tough job. And by Zarquan, they were going to do it. Once time travel was discovered and battles started pre-erupting hundreds of years before the issues even arose, confusion reached quantum levels. And when the infinite improbability drive arrived, and whole planets started turning unexpectedly into banana fruitcake, the history faculty of the University of Maximegalon finally gave up and surrendered its buildings to the rapidly expanding faculty of divinity and water polo, which had been after them for years. This almost certainly means that no one will ever know for sure where the Grebulons came from or exactly what it was they wanted. Their sublight ship had been traveling for millennia when a routine 10 yearly check of its systems resulted in a fairly significant error message. It slowly became clear that the ship's memory, all the way up to and including its central mission module, was missing, removed by the meteorite which had not only knocked a large hole in the ship, but also in that part of its equipment which was supposed to detect if the ship is hit by a meteorite. The Grebulon ship no longer had the faintest idea where its destination was or how to reach it. Tiny scraps of instructions were all it could reconstruct from the tatters of its memory. Your year mission is to land a safe distance, monitor it and... In other words, complete garbage. The ship immediately revived all of its crew, but while in hibernation, all their memories, identities and instructions kept in the ship's central mission module for safekeeping had also been lost. Thus, they also had not the faintest idea of who they were or what they were doing. Hello. Uh, oh, excuse me. Uh, who are you? Does anybody know who I am? Then neither. I don't know who I am. Who are you? You don't know. Before its core system shut down for good, the ship looked for somewhere to land and something to monitor. The planet it found to land on was so achingly far from the sun that should warm it that it took all of its enviroform machinery and life support systems to render it in any way habitable. There were other nearer planets, but the ship's strategio mat was obviously locked into lurk mode. As far as finding something to monitor was concerned, though, the Grebulons hit solid gold. Firing phase. 
Meanwhile, in another layer of the universe altogether, a scruffy figure in a dressing gown is about to be bitten very hard on the thigh. Excuse me, can you direct me to the information desk, please? Last call for the Arcturus shuttle at gate 127. Passengers, please follow the slime trail to gate 127 for the Arcturus shuttle. Eden by. Thank you. The planet of Nawat had been named after the first words of the earliest settlers to arrive there, after struggling across light years of the galaxy. The main town was called Owell. There weren't any other towns to speak of. Settlement there had not been a success. Train team to gate 208, please. A bog hog is loose in Terminal 5. Eden by. Thank you. In an economy based almost entirely on revenge, the major activities pursued on Nawat were those of catching, skinning and eating Nawatian bog hogs, which were the only form of animal life on Nawat, all other having long ago died of despair. The bog hogs are tiny, vicious creatures, and the small margin by which they fall short of being completely inedible was the margin by which life on the planet subsisted. Excuse me, could you tell me where the information desk is? <laughs> The main trade on Nawat was in the skins of the Nawatian bog hog, but it wasn't successful because no one in their right minds would want to buy one. Making clothing out of a bog hog skin was an exercise in futility, since they were unaccountably thin and leaky. So what was the bog hog's secret of keeping warm? If anyone had ever learnt the language of the bog hogs, they would have discovered that there was no trick. The bog hogs were as cold and wet as anyone else on the planet. No one had had the slightest desire to learn the language of the bog hogs for the simple reason that these are creatures whose only form of communication is through biting each other very hard on the thigh. He's ready for that boring looking human in the dressing gown. My thigh! That really hurt. What was that? Your bog hog. They do that. Arthur Dent has been in some hell holes in his life, but never before in a spaceport with a sign saying, even travelling despondently is better than arriving here. To welcome visitors, the arrivals hall features a picture of the president of Nawat smiling. It was taken shortly after he shot himself, so although the photo has been retouched, the smile it wears is rather a ghastly one. The side of his head has been drawn back in, in crayon. The truth is that no one wants to be president of Nawat, there is only one ambition which anyone on the planet ever has, and that is to leave. Good morning. Yes? Um, my name is Arthur Dent. I hitched a ride on a robot freighter bound for these coordinates, expecting to find a planet called Earth. And instead I found a planet called Now What? And this thing ran up and bit me in the thigh. A bog hog? Yes, yes, they do that. What coordinates are on the flight plan? ZZ9 plural Z alpha. Well, those are the coordinates of now, what? You've arrived. Welcome. Eat and buy. The thing is, you see, the shapes of the continents, everything really, tells me that this is definitely the Earth. But it most definitely is not. And my hitchhiker's guide doesn't work very well here, so I can't find out what's going on. Look. The hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. Anything that, in happening, causes something else to happen. See? One planet may look like another and occupy the same coordinates in space-time, but what coordinates it occupies in probability is anybody's guess. <sighs> but it's taken me a year to get here. I'm looking for somebody. Somebody I met on the Earth. Here. Or it was here. Lost on a hyperspace jump, was she? Yes. That's right. Her name was... Fenchurch. Female of your species. Good grief, yes. One minute, 
She was sitting next to you in a slump jet out of Prelium Tarn. The next minute the ship did a normal hyperspace hop and she was gone. Her name wasn't even on the passenger list. Hang on a minute. You've tried every space line office between here and Ursa Minor looking for her. Now finally you thought you'd try going back to the place you first met her. Surely you haven't. No, sorry. Haven't seen it. So how? I'm a telepath. I can read your mind. And in answer to your current thought, I don't have the time to go and tie a knot in my reproductive organs. Oh. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Evidently, no one has explained this to you properly. Where's your ticket? Here. She originated in Galactic Sector ZZ9 Plural Z Alpha, yeah? Now, check the small print on the back of the ticket. Entities whose lifespans originate in any of the plural zones are advised not to travel in hyperspace and do so at their own risk. Please do not eat this ticket. Hmm. You need to be careful, too. It can happen to you. I wish it would. I know. You would like a cup of tea. You have tea? No, I was just noting the fact that you would like one, whatever it is. Oh. Look, in the absence of your planet, I suggest you find somewhere to come to terms with your loss. A place to stay. A hotel room? Good grief, not here. Not if you value your sanity, no. But your luck's in, because I'm also resettlement officer. So, what sort of thing are you looking for? Um, before we start, are you likely to suggest a place called Stavromula Beta? Something very nasty happens to you on Stavromula Beta. Yes, but how... Oh, ah, right. Um, I don't want to be anthropic, but I'd quite like to live somewhere where the people look vaguely like me. Sort of human? Mm. Got any skills? A trade? Oh dear, not really. I came from a world which had cars and computers and ballet and armagnac, but left to my own devices, I couldn't build a toaster. I can just about make a sandwich and that's it. I finance my travel by donating to tissue banks. Yeah. It's amazing there's this much of me left, frankly. Right. Simple culture, low unemployment, picnic food. Uh... Yeah, try this. Bartledown? It's got oxygen, it's got green hills, it's got sliced bread, and the people look like you. Looks a bit boring. I'm sorry, I was going by appearances. Look, there's a whole galaxy of stuff out there. Think about it. I know, I do. The trouble is that this particular incarnation of the galaxy seems to lack two things. The world I was born on and the woman I love. Actually, what I really need is, well, guidance and advice. I did look them up on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Under guidance, it said, see under advice. Under advice, it said, see under guidance. It's been doing a lot of that kind of stuff recently. Uh, why don't you try Homalius? It's populated entirely by oracles and soothsayers and has really excellent bathroom facilities. It could be just what you're looking for. Brochure? Hmm. Thanks. I'm sorry this is the wrong planet. Really, I am. Ink and bye. Oh, it's the right planet, all right. Right planet, wrong universe. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has, in what we laughingly call the past, had a great deal to say on the subject of parallel universes. Very little of this is, however, at all comprehensible to anyone below the level of advanced god. And since it is now well established that all known gods came into existence a good three millionths of a second after the universe began, rather than, as they usually claimed, the previous week, they already have a great deal of explaining to do as it is, and are therefore not available for comment on matters of deep physics at this time. Anything that, in happening, causes something else to happen, causes something else to happen. The first thing to realize about parallel universes, the guide says, is that they are not parallel. Neither are they, strictly speaking, universes either. Any given universe is not actually a thing as such but just a way of looking at what is technically known as the WSOGMM, or whole sort of general mishmash. The whole sort of general mishmash doesn't actually exist either. 
but it is the sum total of all the different ways there would be of looking at it if it did. You can slice the whole sort of general mishmash any way you like, and you will generally come up with something that someone will call home. There is, for example, the earth that Arthur Dent grew up on, where he once met a girl called Tricia McMillan at a party in Islington, and had her snatched away by Zaphod Beeblebrox, a tall man with very broad shoulders, on each of which was a head, one perfectly visible, the other camouflaged under a birdcage with a tea towel flung over it. Hold the phone! This is a face in a million. Does perfection have another name? Trisha? Macmillan? Trisha? Macmillan? Billion? Trillion? <laughs> Kid, if I followed you home, would you keep me? I'd rather go somewhere else. You want excitement, adventure, really wild things? What do you have in mind? Twice as much as the other guy, because when Zarkon made you, baby, he made a laser beam. He did? He did. And he set you on stun. Freeow! I'd grow back my third arm for you. Ooh. Oh, baby, you make me see stars. How about I show you some planets? Hey, I've got a doctorate in astrophysics. Be careful what you promise. It's nothing I can't deliver, angel lips. What say we make like Allosimanian polar bears and break the ice? Will I need to get my bath? Now we gotta go before you have to be back in heaven. Eddie, beam us up! If you're in the mood, two-headed dude! That particular Earth was demolished by the Vogons as part of an intergalactic traffic calming initiative. And Arthur and Tricia, or Trillian, were the only human survivors. After several adventures, that particular trillion became a successful intergalactic reporter for the Sidereal Daily Mentioner. However, on yet another parallel Earth in the whole sort of general mishmash, a blonder, more American-sounding Trisha McMillan utterly failed to get off with Zaphod Beeblebrox at a party in Islington. The precise connection between that event and the fact that Trisha McMillan's particular Earth did not get demolished by the Vogons is currently sitting at number 4,763,984,132 on the research project priority list at what was once the history department of the University of Maxi Megalon. And no one currently at the prayer meeting by the poolside appears to feel any sense of urgency about it. However, like her parallel intergalactic travelling counterpart, Trillian, the earthbound Trisha McMillan became a reporter. In the process, she learnt two things. One was that as a scientist working in the popular arts, you can make a lot of money covering some very dumb subjects. The other was that you should never go back for your bag. Miss Andrews, you've agreed to do this interview because you have a new astrology book out. You and your stars, the follow-up to you and your black holes. But there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Uh, no, quite. <laughs> now, putting aside your relationship with the White House for the moment, let's talk about your area of so-called expertise. Last week, astronomers announced that there's a tenth planet discovered out beyond the orbit of Pluto, Persephone. Uh, Rupert. They've nicknamed it after some astronomer's parrot. Yes, but that must put your astrology calculations out, mustn't it? I well, mean, maybe you knew what happened when Neptune was in Virgo, but what happens now that Rupert is rising? Well, it, it doesn't change the essential movement of the planets. Whatever influence it has had on events is already factored in. If you'd known about Rupert three years ago, might the president be eating boysenberry flavor ice cream on Thursdays rather than on Fridays? <sighs> Miss McMillan, I'm aware that you have a degree in physics, astrophysics, and I can assure you my... This is most interesting. Most interesting. It may help solve our problem. Yes. yes. Could be just the answer we Grebulons have been looking for. Yes. 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 But it's not a science. Could it? Well, of course it could. It's scientific methodology, too. 
Which one are you? I don't know. And you? I, I don't know either. <laughs> Who are you? I don't know. Well, you must be superior. You're shouting. Yes, shouting. Yes, and I am taller. Does oh, that count? Taller. Much, much taller. Well, how should I know? We have found much to monitor from the third planet called the Earth. Earth. It has provided some interesting information. Yes, information. Yes. All New York police lieutenants are fat and bald and suck lollipops. Yes. Lollipops. Yes. It is a mistake to give a glove puppet bear a water pistol. Not all over me. Oh. <laughs> and the Teletubbies are very picky eaters. And, oh. More than that, we have learnt that we are stranded on Persephone, the tenth planet popularly called... Rupert. 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 And that events here are influenced by the movement of the planet around this sun. And I have had an idea. Ah! <laughs> so you are in charge. Club Alpha, please. One of the extraordinary things about life is the sort of places where it's prepared to put up with living. Anywhere it can get some kind of a grip. Whether it's the intoxicating seas of Santraginus 5, where the fish never seem to care whatever the heck kind of direction they swim in, the firestorms of Frastra, where they say life begins at 40,000 degrees, or just burrowing around in the lower intestine of a rat for the sheer unadulterated hell of it, life will always find a way of hanging on in somewhere. It will even live in New York, though that's hard to know why. Some of the things that live in the lower intestines of rats would disagree, but when it's autumn in New York, the air smells as if someone's been frying goats in it. And if you're keen to breathe, the best plan is to open a window and stick your head in a building. Miss McMillan, welcome to Alpha. Miss Andrews is waiting for you. Thank you, Stavro, not here today. He's in London. The new club opens there next week. You mean I can crawl home after a night out without having to endure business class? You better believe it. Miss Andrews, I got your note. You were upset about something in the interview? Excuse me? The note said, meet me at Club Alpha, not happy, Gail Andrews. I was really happy with the interview. What? Of course astrology isn't a science. It's just a set of rules like chess or tennis or... What's the thing the British have? Uh, self-loathing? Parliamentary democracy. The rules just kind of got there. Astrology rules you stars and planets as a way of thinking about a problem, which lets a shape emerge. Miss Andrews, Gail... When you got so emotionally focused on stars and planets this morning, it seemed to me you weren't steamed about astrology, but actual stars and planets. So I asked you here to see if you were okay. Oh. There's something in your past that still upsets you about astronomy? I... I made a decision once. Mm. I'm not sure it was the right one. Uh, who is? Every moment of every day, every decision we make opens some doors and closes others. Quite a few years ago, I met a guy at a party. Mm -hmm. He said he was from another planet. Okay. And did I want to go there with him? I think he had two heads. Two heads? It was that kind of party. One was disguised as a parrot in a cage, covered up. It was asleep, I think. Right. Right. Hey, I've got a doctorate in astrophysics. Be careful what you promise. It's nothing I can't deliver, angel boobs. Let's go before you want it back in heaven. I'll need my bag. Nah, I'm on a meter! Let's just rearrange the alphabet and put you and I together. I'll get the bag. Really, I won't be a minute. Nothing personal, sweet lips, but a minute was all I had. Ciao. Beam me up, Eddie. Whatever you say, El Presidente! Now, although it was that kind of party, 
I know he wasn't of this world. And hardly a moment goes by that I don't wonder about some other me. A me that didn't go back for her bag. I feel like she's out there somewhere, and I, I don't know. I'm walking in her shadow. Are you married, Trisha? Uh, I came close a few times, mostly because I wanted to have a kid. But every guy ended up asking why I was constantly looking over his shoulder. At one point, I even thought I might just go to a sperm bank and have somebody's child at random. But I never went and found out for real. That's why I gave up astrophysics and went into television. Nothing is real. Something else is wrong, isn't it? Gail, I didn't just come over from London to record our interview. I had another reason. NBS asked if I'd like to try for a moment at his breakfast show job. <gasps> they asked you? I heard she was leaving the show to have a baby. Yeah, in spite of the money they were offering for her to have it on the show. Huh. Anyway, the car was late picking me up, and then I realized I'd left my bag in my room. But you didn't go back for it? No. I just turned up, sat down, and they ran the auto cue. I couldn't read it. Why not? My contact lenses were in my bag, in the hotel. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't be. Look... I'm really sorry about this morning. Uh, don't... don't say another word. Thanks. I want to see if I can still get tonight's red eye back to Heathrow. Goodbye, Gail. And thanks. Oh, hey, don't forget your bag. There are times when you do not go back for your bag, and other times when you do. I just need to figure out which. Thanks to modern hyperphysics, it's becoming clear that the universe consists of a complex web of dimensional layers which duplicate certain levels of existence and form branches to others. Evidence for this is legion, from the way in which a long unused phrase such as total perspective vortex suddenly crops up three times in as many crosswords, to the fact that Zaphod Beeblebrox, having left Trisha McMillan behind at that legendary party, was, due to the vagaries of improbability, instantly transported to the same party on a different Earth in a parallel universe where he was A, too drunk to notice he'd just eaten the same volavant twice, and B, struck by a dark-haired girl who looked very familiar and did not need the constant accompaniment of a handbag. That same Zaphod Beeblebrox it was who more recently returned to Arthur Dent to the planet Cricket, delivered Ford Prefect to the nearest planet with a pool table, amicably parted with Trillian at the Sidereal Daily Mentioner recruiting office, and is now seeking some kind of truth and reconciliation with his past. A search which has followed a trail of rapacious economic plunder from an H-shaped building on Ursa Minor to an H-shaped building on Sacro Pilia Hentia, where a figure wearing a fast food delivery service uniform and two jet bike helmets carries a large insulated satchel into the reception area. Hey, Flood, this is it, right? Megadodo Publications. Let's not get hung up on names, dude. Just chill and be awed, because you are standing in the home of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the most totally remarkable book in the whole of the known universe. Hey, frosty cool bro. Now, I got a pizza delivery for, uh, Zani Whoop? Double anchovy, Caesar salad, easy on the squid liver? No problemo! Elevator to his new office on the 23rd floor, make a left at the water cooler, third door on the right. Hey, sure thing, my man. Hello, I am to be your serious cybernetics corporation happy vertical people transporter to 23rd floor and step on it, meat crate. Stepping with pleasure. Mr. Van Harl, reception. He's on his way up. Two heads, three arms. It's your boy, all right. Thank you. Have the account's mainframe booted up and alert security. Remind them to bring an extra half pair of handcuffs. 
Yes, sir. It's open, Zephyr. Do all four of my eyes deceive me? I think not. Not this time, Zani Whoop. <laughs> ten out of ten for observation. Why don't you holster the zap gun, put down your pizza, and I'll pour us a drink. Make that two. I've waited a long time to find out what's been going on, and I'll need to be very, very drunk to understand it. In your case, Zephyr. That's the only way you could understand it. And this mm, is a very spicy pizza. It's going to take a lot of washing down. I'd offer you some, but I kind of hate to share. <laughs> Cheers. Or should I say, in your case, chin chin. Funny. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, when pressed, locates the planet Hawali as far out on the eastern rim of the galaxy. It's highly renowned for its abundance of oracles, seers, and soothsayers. It's also highly renowned for its fast food franchises, because most mystics are utterly incapable of cooking for themselves. Anything that in happening causes itself to happen again, happens again. Though not necessarily in chronological order. If you land on Hawalius and pick up one of its tourist brochures, the drift like snow in the litter-strewn corners of its spaceport, you will find it witters on about the ancient mystical arts of the seers while wildly over-representing the level of accommodation available. In fact, the generally uncared-for condition of its biggest town suggests that some sort of calamity has befallen it. Excuse me, um, why are you boarding up your shop? We're going out of business. No call for us profits anymore. Why is that? Hold the end of this plank and I'll show you. Righto. Where are you? Where are you? Oh. There. A sub-ether video. Well, it's not a toaster. What's this? In a speech he will give tomorrow, the Vice President of Pablo Vigas will announce that he is a woman. And this? Next month's royal wedding between Prince Gid of the Soufling Dynasty and Princess Huli of Raoul Alpha will be the most spectacular ceremony yet witnessed in the Pajanji Territory. Our reporter, Trillian Astra, sends us this report. It's true. No, Crod, the scene here in the middle of next month is absolutely incredible. You see what we have to contend with? I was watching that. You and everyone else. That's why this place is like a ghost town. Every vid reporter is a prophet now. Quick bit of time travel, quick hop across dimensions, there it is. The future, the past, several versions of someone you know. Yes, that's what I mean. That was someone I know. Princess Uli? <laughs> if I had to stand around saying hello to everyone who's known Princess Uli, I'd need a new set of lungs. No, the reporter. Her name's Trillian. I don't know where she got the Astra from. She's from the same planet as me. I wondered where she'd got to. Oh, she's wall-to-wall over the continuum these days, gallivanting here and there through space-time. She wants to settle down and find herself a nice steady era, that young lady does. Is she, um, always dark-haired? Oh, I don't watch this stuff. Thank the great green arc will seize you. <laughs> no, of course not. It's just that I have seen a Trillian. Trisha McMillan, blonde and sort of American. On Earth, where I came from. But in another dimension, possibly. That's just what I was saying. Look, I'm not here to sort out your dimensional issues. I'm busy going out of business. For what it's worth, here's a bit of free guidance. <clears throat> <clears throat> It'll all end in tears. Probably already has. All right. Now hold the plank steady while I nail it. Oh! God, my thumb! Are you all right? Oh! I suggest you trot along now. 
I may need to speak in tongues for a few minutes. Please? Oh. All right, then. Try that cave over there. That's only a suggestion, mine. <clears throat> Not formal oracular advice. Thank you. Bye. The days are long gone when the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Building was the third hippest place to be in the whole of Ursa Minor, as its offices are often shifted at very short notice from planet to planet for reasons of local climate, hostility, power bills or tax. They're always reconstructed precisely the same way. As for many of the company's employees, the layout of their offices represented the only constants they knew in a distorted personal universe. Unless you had your own personal universe inside your office, of course. The Hitchhiker's Guide building is currently located in the city of Antwelm on the world known as Sacropilia Hentia, and Ford Prefect has entered it in his usual way, via the ventilation system rather than the main lobby, because the main lobby is no longer peopled by real people with unkempt hair and a relaxed attitude to footwear, but patrolled by melon-sized flying security robots whose job it is to quiz incoming employees about their expense accounts. Ford Prefect's expense accounts are notoriously complex and difficult affairs, and he's found on the whole that the lobby robots do not fully comprehend his understated approach to bookkeeping. He prefers, therefore, to make his entrance via the ventilation shafts leading to the building's higher floors. Uh. Oh. Ow! Holy Belgium, I swear they've been saving money by rebuilding the floors lower. Ford is carrying a satchel in which is a lightweight throwing towel, a number three gauge prizing tool, and a toy bow and arrow bought in a street market for reasons which will shortly become apparent. Intruder, your presence has been detected. Have your sleeves rolled for barcode scan and your expenses ready for inspection. Do not attempt to run. Do not attempt to offer bribes. Lick the suction cup on that aim, and if its movement sensors are the usual serious cybernetics garbage... <coughs> Detect your movement. Do not attempt to run. Empty your pockets. Robot diverted. Aim towel. Ugh. Emergency. Bad body vision flashes. Impairment. Grab the bot. <coughs> Prizing tool. <coughs> Power switch off. Logic circuit card. Logic is a wonderful thing, but it has certain drawbacks. Anything that thinks logically can be fooled by something else which thinks at least as logically as it does. The easiest way to fool, say, a completely logical robot is best demonstrated by the famous herring sandwich experiments, conducted a millennia ago at MISPWOSO. The Maximegalon Institute of slowly and painfully working out the surprisingly obvious. A robot was programmed to believe that it liked herring sandwiches, after which a herring sandwich was placed in front of it, whereupon the robot said to itself, Herring sandwich. I like herring sandwiches. It would then tip down and scoop up the herring sandwich in its herring sandwich scoop and straighten up again. Unfortunately, the robot was fashioned in such a way that the action of straightening up caused the herring sandwich to slip off its scoop and fall on the floor. Whereupon the robot said to itself, Ah, herring sandwich. I like herring sandwiches. And repeated the loop over and over and over again. The thing that prevented the herring sandwich from crawling off in search of other ways of passing the time was that it was only marginally less alert to what was going on than the robot. The scientists at the Institute thus discovered the driving force behind all change, development and innovation in life was boredom, or rather the practical function of boredom. In a fever of excitement, they then went on to discover other emotions like irritability. Who left this herring sandwich here? 
depression. If I drop that sandwich again, I'm going to switch myself off. Reluctance. This sandwich has got carpet fluff all over it. Ickiness. It's got green stuff growing on it, too. And so on. The next big breakthrough came when they stopped using herring sandwiches, whereupon a whole welter of new emotions became suddenly available to them for study, such as relief, joy, friskiness, appetite, satisfaction, and most important of all, the desire for happiness. This was the biggest breakthrough of all. Now all that robots needed was the capacity to be either bored or happy. They would then work the rest out for themselves. The robot which Ford has trapped under his towel is a logical, if momentarily unhappy, robot. It's happy when it can move about. It's happy when it can see other things. It's particularly happy when it can see other things moving about, particularly if they're doing things they shouldn't do, because it could then, with considerable delight, report them. But Ford will soon fix that. His logic is that by reconfiguring its logic circuit, he will have a robot that is logically and ecstatically happy to help him do things he really shouldn't do. On, towel, off. Mr. Prefect, sir, I'm so happy to see you. Good to see you too, little fella. My fulfillment is uncontained at your return. I am so happy. I could clear all your expenses without requiring adequate proofs of purchase. Don't let me stop you. Oh, sadly, such clearance is restricted to the editor or the accounts computers. Well, if the editor won't clear them, and trust me, he won't, we'll try the computer. Oh. Goody, goody. Where shall we start? Here, with you telling me what's going on. Oh, just the nicest of all possible things. May I sit on your lap? No! Oh, I'm overjoyed to be spurned like this, especially when you shout at me. Spurn me again, please. Listen, something's changed, hasn't it? Something big. Oh, yes, in the most fabulous and wonderful way. I feel so good about it. It was scrumptious before, but now it's yummy-licious. Please shout at me again, go on. Just tell me what's happened. Uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please. The guide has been taken over. There's a wonderful new management. What new management? When? Never mind. Does that door still lead to the editor's office? Why, yes. It's all so gorgeous I could just melt. Look, be quiet, will you? Uh, What's your name? Part number 223219B, reorder code, sickbot rev B. Fruity or what? Uh, no. What would be a good name for you? Emily Saunders. No, no. Her dog. Perfect. So, Colin. I am Colin. Colin, the security robot called Colin. After a dog. Woof, woof. God, God. Colin, shut up. There's a battery of laser guns linked to scanners in that doorframe. It's meant to catch anyone entering who isn't carrying pages of fresh copy, like me. Exciting, isn't it? Yeah, so you're going to draw the laser fire while I break through the door and tuck and roll behind the drinks trolley. Then I'll be on my knees by his desk and in a perfect position to open negotiations. Now, I may have to cry a bit, but you mustn't worry. That's just the grovelling phase of the negotiations. But... Right, ready. After three. But... Three! Whoa! <laughs> <sighs> 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 Ford Prefect. <laughs> I've been expecting you. Will even a groveling phase in negotiations cut any ice with Mr. Zaniwoop Van Hal? What has happened to Zaphod Beeblebrox? And can Arthur Dent find a purpose to his life, let alone the universe and everything? 
Parallel zones of enlightenment await in the next temporal layer of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. In that episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, William Franklin was the book and Rula Lenska was the voice of the bird. Simon Jones played Arthur Dent, Jeffrey McGiven, Ford Prefect, Mark Wing Davies, Afon Beeblebrox, Susan Sheridan, Trillian, Sandra Dickinson, Trisha McMillan, and Jonathan Price was Zani Whoop. Roger Gregg played Eddie, Andy Taylor and Mike Fenton Stevens, the Grebulons, John Channis played the Prophet, Mitch Ben, the information creature, Lorelei King was Gail Andrews, and Andrew Seacombe, Colin the Robot. The announcer was John Marsh, the surround mix was by Paul Dealey, and additional effects by Ken Humphrey and Paul Weir. The script editor was John Langdon, and the music was by Paul Wicks-Wickens. The production manager was Joe Wheeler, and the production assistant was Susie Matthews. The programme was adapted, directed and co-produced by Dirk Maggs. The producers were Helen Chatwell and Bruce Hyman, and it was an above-the-title production for BBC Radio 4. Listeners are reminded not to try and reprogram serious cybernetic security bots. They contain no user-serviceable parts, and tampering with their happiness circuits will invalidate the warranty. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams Quintessential Phase The problem of being born on a world in a plural zone never occurred to Arthur Dent during his confusing days aboard the Heart of Gold, his lonely nights on prehistoric Earth, or even the embarrassed silences following his fumbled catches on the playing fields of cricket. Indeed, the idea that the universe could consist of more than one reality was beyond his slightest imagining. For years he blindly assumed that the one and only planet Earth was destroyed by the Vogons, and that that was in all senses of the word that. But then, seemingly for no reason at all, not even in response to an acute attack of allergic rhinitis by the great green arcal seizure itself, another Earth flicked into existence to replace the demolished one. And upon that new Earth, Arthur met and fell in love with a troubled girl called Fenchurch, who he subsequently lost during a routine hyperspace jump. Now in search of any kind of meaning, Arthur has arrived upon the planet Hawarius, where a tourist brochure promises guidance by prophets and seers. Of course, he could just throw away the brochure and consult his copy of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But he's been finding... This pop-up is brought to you by Infinidim Enterprises. Click here for Vital Hitchhiker's Guide Pro update information. Something is wrong somewhere. Thus, Arthur is even less inclined than usual to trust his Hitchhiker's Guide, which means that at this parallel of the narrative, he mostly uses it for eating his sandwiches off. Still... Get off! Don't blue Buzzing sods! Get your own goat carcass! <laughs> That'll learn ya! Oh, keep still, damn it! Bloated great blue bottle! Come here! Come here! Oh, you... Um, <laughs> hello? Ugh, ye gods, what a stink! Oh, gross! Excuse me, I think I've trodden in a dead goat! Man, my bladder! What? Oh, the goat bladder! 
Hanging behind you, you f- Now you've disturbed the maggots, you f- Hand me the table tennis bat. I'm so sorry. What you want? Uh, I came to ask for your advice. What about? Well, just sort of general advice, really. It's said in the brochure. <laughs> brochure? Advice? Advice? To do with your life, that sort of thing. Yes. Uh, what is that smell? <laughs> what smell? Ah, uh, let me just move upwind of you. Well, you, you better come in my cave. Um, can't we talk out here? You'll have to help me with a photocopier. What? Hold up. The photocopier. You'll have to help me drag it out. I have to keep it in the cave so the birds don't shit on it. I see. Yeah, well, I'd take a deep breath if I was you. Ahead of you there. Right. You can breathe again now. Right. Um, the solar cells seem to be charged up. Always takes a minute or two. You'll be wanting some lunch. Um, I've eaten, thanks. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Mm. Not too rank. Ooh, hang on. Um, need a toothpick? Nah. Maggoty bit. Got it, thanks. Ah, oh, there you go. This, um... This is your advice, then, is it? No, it's the story of my life. Oh, but I... You see, the quality of any advice anybody has to offer can only be judged against the quality of life they actually lead. Now, as you look through this document, you'll see that I've underlined all the major decisions I ever made to make them stand out. They're all indexed and cross-referenced. Mm -hmm. yeah. Don't need to check them now. All I can suggest is that if you take decisions that are exactly opposite to the sort of decisions that I've taken, then maybe you won't finish up at the end of your life in a smelly old cave like this. As Arthur Dent absorbs this self-evident truth and a blast of halitosis that would make any self-respecting bug-bladder beast book an urgent appointment with the one surviving oral hygienist on trial, events elsewhere move on apace. It's important here to remember that in this collision of realities, there are two Trisha McMillans in Arthur's life. One, the girl he lost to Zaphod Beeblebrox at a party in Islington, Trillian Astra, intergalactic court affairs correspondent for the Sidereal Daily Mentioner. The other, blonder and more American, lives on the replacement Earth. She is Trisha McMillan, also a reporter. Her chances of leaving the planet are about to take a belated turn for the better. Oh, Mr. Bartlett, I'm just back from New York and I was expecting to find the grass cut and you haven't touched it. Well, no, I didn't want to mess up the evidence of the aliens. You mean illegal immigrants? Space aliens, miss. They come down here, land on your lawn, then buzz off again, sometimes with your cat. Mrs. Williams at the post office, her cat got abducted. They brought him back the very next day, but he were in a very odd mood. Sleeping a lot. Off his fish. What's that got to do with cutting the grass? The marks on your lawn are exactly the sort that their landing pads would probably make. Eric, 
Please come and cut my grass tomorrow. I found a three-leaf clover there, too. Not a regular one with a leaf missing, but a genuine three-leaf. Please. All right. If I were you, though, I'd watch for signs of alien activity in the area. Particularly from the Henley direction. Oh, gotta go. Someone at the door. Macmillan? Ms. Trisha Macmillan? Yes? We have been monitoring you. Mm. Yes. Uh, on yes. TV. Yes. M monitoring me? Mm. How? From the tenth planet from your son. Yes. Your people call it Rupert. 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 Uh, you look much smaller in real life. The history of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is one of idealism, struggle, success, failure and enormously long lunch breaks. Most of the surviving stories, however, speak of a founding editor called Hurling Frutmig, who established its fundamental principles of honesty and idealism and went bust. There followed many years of penury and heart-searching, but then after a chance encounter with the holy lunching friars of Undon, who claimed that just as lunch was at the center of a man's temporal day, and man's temporal day could be seen as an analogy for his spiritual life, so lunch should A, be seen as the center of a man's spiritual life, and B, be held in a jolly nice restaurant. He refounded the guide, laid down its fundamental principles of honesty and idealism, and where you could stuff them both. As a result, the editorial lunch break played a crucial part in the guide's history, since it meant that most of the actual work got done by whatever passing stranger happened to wander into the empty offices on an afternoon and saw something worth doing. Shortly after this, the guide was taken over by Megadodo Publications of Ursa Minor Beta, thus putting the whole thing on a very sound financial footing, which allowed the fourth editor, Lig Lurie Jr., to embark on lunch breaks of such breathtaking scope that he never formally resigned his editorship, but left his office late one morning and has never since returned. Though well over a century has since passed, guide staff still retain the romantic notion that he's merely popped out for a ham croissant and will yet return to put in a solid afternoon's work. Thus, Lig's desk is still preserved the way he left it, with the addition of a small sign which says, Lig Lurie Jr., editor, missing, presumed fed. As time has passed, Ford Prefect and the few other researchers who stayed out in the field have gradually lost touch with the corporate nightmare the guide has become. The current location of the guide building is Antwelm City, on the planet of Sacro Pilia Hensha. Its editor-in-chief, Stagyar Zildogo, is a dangerously unbalanced man who takes a homicidal view of contributors turning up in his office without pages of fresh-proofed copy. Ford Prefect has lately arrived here and caught reprogrammed and renamed one of the flying security robots to help him gain access to Stagyar's office by any means necessary. Right, ready. After three. But three. One. Ford Prefect. <laughs> I've been expecting you. You're not Stagyar, but I do know you. My name is Van Hal. And a delightful name it is too, sir. What have you done to that security robot? I've made it very happy. It's a kind of mission I have. Where's Stagyar? And more to the point, where's his drinks trolley? Mr. Zildogger is no longer with us. His drinks trolley is, I imagine, helping to console him for this fact. I'm your new editor-in-chief. That is, if the organization decides to retain your services. Organization? <laughs> that word isn't usually associated with the guide. 
precisely our sentiments. Understructured, over-resourced, under-managed, over-inebriated. And that was just the editor. I tell you what, I'll do the jokes. No. You'll do the restaurant column. You what? No. Me, Van Hal. You, prefect. Me, editor. You, restaurant column. Here. A diner charge card in your name. Expiry date two years from now. This is the single most exciting thing I have ever seen in my life. You're drooling. Sorry, Colin, the towel. Of course! <clears throat> Prefect, we're at Infinitum Enterprises. Uh, are you at what? Infinitum Enterprises. We have taken over the Hitchhiker's Guide. Megadodo Publications is now called Infinitum? We spent millions on that name. Start liking it or start packing. The galaxy is changing. We've got to change with it. A new technology for a new future. Oh, don't tell me about the future. I've been all over it. Spend half my time there. It's the same as anywhere else. Any when else. Well, whatever. Just the same old stuff in faster cars and smellier air. That's one future. You've got to learn to think multidimensionally. Limitless futures stretching out in every direction from this moment. And from this moment. And from this. Billions and billions of shining, gleaming futures. I seem to be drooling now. Can I borrow your towel? Sure, here. Thank you. Billions and billions of markets. I see. So you sell billions and billions of guides. Oh, do try and keep up. We sell one guide. Billions and billions of times. We exploit the multidimensional nature of the universe to cut manufacturing costs. And we don't sell something with a plummy, pompous pedagogue lecturing to penniless hitchhikers. Oh, no. What kind of positioning was that? The one section of the market that more or less by definition didn't have any money? No. We sell a sultry Brantis Vogan escort agency VIP vamp voice to the affluent business traveler and his vacationing wife in a billion different futures. And you want me to be its restaurant critic? If the quota permits. Kill! No! No! Get off me! Colin, no! Get off me! Release! No, no, it was a reflex action on my part. People who use words like quota trigger it. Make me shout kill, but only rhetorically. I can kill him rhetorically if you prefer. No, but uh, we could just check his wallet while we're here. Ah, first name, Zani Whoop. Where did I come across this suit before? See if there's a clue. Cash, credit tokens, ultra golf club membership. Ah, photo of someone's wife and family. Presumably his own, but as a busy executive, he might just rent them for weekends. Wait a minute. Ha! An identities card! Can life get any better? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy explains the function of the identities card like this. There are so many different ways in which you are required to provide absolute proof of your identity these days that life can easily become extremely tiresome just from that factor alone. Never mind the deeper existential problems of trying to function as a coherent consciousness in an ambiguous physical universe. Just look at cash point machines, for instance. Queues of people standing around waiting to have their fingerprints read, their retinas scanned, bits of skin scraped from the nape of the neck and undergoing instant genetic analysis. Hence the identities. This encodes every single piece of information about you, your body and your life, into one all-purpose machine-readable card that you can then carry around in your wallet. 
thereby representing technology's greatest triumph to date over both itself and plain common sense. With Mr. Van Hart's card, you can access any level in the building. I think I'm going into orgasm. Colin, Colin, don't do that. You want to stay happy? Yes, yes, please, yes, yes. Then come down from the ceiling and do everything I tell you. I'm quite happy offering up here, thank you. I never realized before how much sheer titillation there was to be had from a good ceiling. I'll be pleased to explore my feelings about ceilings in greater depth. Stay there and you'll be captured and have your condition chip replaced. So if you want to stay happy... <sighs> my felicity is clouded by a pang of impassioned tristesse. Yeah, whatever. Can you keep the rest of the security system happy for a few minutes? One of the joys of true happiness is sharing. I brim, I froth, I overflow. Yeah, yeah, okay, I... okay. Just spread a little happiness around the security network. Don't give it any information. Just make it feel good so it doesn't feel the need to ask for any. Then show me where the accounting department is. Will this be fun? It'll be more than fun. It'll be extremely fruity. Great Zarkon, who rebuilt the door? The offices are all nano-built now. Molecular bots live in the woodwork. They build each other, rebuild the door, disassemble each other, and go back into the woodwork to await further damage. Well, let's not keep them waiting. Is that your spaceship on my lawn? Our scout ship, yes, Ms. McMillan. Are you... Are you from... Zayford? Zayford? We don't... We don't think so. Not as far as we know. You've been monitoring me. Mm. Mm. All of you. Everything on your planet. Yeah, uh, TV, TV, radio, computers, radio, video circuitry, warehouses, car parts. We monitor everything. How tedious. What are these? Um, my music collection. Look! Elvis sings Oasis. Oh. You like Elvis Presley? Oh, yes, yes. Elvis. Yes. Elvis. Some of your people think that Elvis, Elvis. has been kidnapped by space aliens. <laughs> Last I heard he was alive and well, living out his old age in Memphis. Mind if I video you? If you don't mind us monitoring oh. it. Okay. Now, tell me slowly and carefully who you are. You first. What's your name? I don't know. You don't know. No. What about you other two? We, we don't, don't know. know. Okay. Where are you from? <laughs> Why are you shaking your heads? We don't know where we are from. We are on a mission. Mm. Mm. Mission, yes. Ah, a mission. Okay. To do what? <gasps> we don't know. So what are you doing here on Earth, then? We have come to fetch you. Mm. Fetch, fetch. Why me? Because we have lost our minds. Can't find them. Lost. Mm -hmm. Totally. Gone. Oh, I beg your pardon. We liked your interview with the astrologer. Yes. We are very interested in what the stars foretell. Stars. We stars. thought stars might just be fissile gaseous bodies, but as our memories are blank, we believe whatever we like. Yes. And we like astrology much better. Astrology. We follow yes. our horoscopes, you see. Yes. They give us a purpose. Uh, our ship was hit by a meteorite. Our memories were wiped. Our only remaining instructions were to land, land. and monitor, monitor. And, and... And what? 
The next bit is not clear yet. But our immediate problem is one of triangulation. Astrology is a very precise science. Precise. Mm, precise. We know this. Well. But it is only precise for you here on Earth. Uh, yeah. uh, so when Venus is rising in Capricorn, for instance, that is from Earth. Uh, How does that work if we are out on Rupert? What if the Earth is rising in Capricorn? It is hard for us to know. Uh, um, uh, amongst the things we have forgotten, forgotten. W- which we think are many and profound, yes. is trigonometry. Mm. Uh, you said you are an astrophysicist? I was. Well, I am, really. You said astrology is not a science unless scientific methodology is applied to it. Uh, and that is what we would like you to come and do. Let me get this straight. You want me to come with you to Rupert to help you accurately calculate the relative positions of Earth and Rupert to help you work out your horoscopes? Yes! Do I get exclusive story rights? Yes! Wait here while I get my bed. No. Let's just go. Hello? Hello? Old man, on top of the next pole? Hello? Go away. I'm ignoring you. But this is the fifth pole I've climbed. Will you please stay in one place? I'll meditate where I want. Oh! So there. How are you doing that? None of your business. Please don't make me climb another one. You should be careful climbing these poles. You could fall off and kill yourself if you tried. Oh, no. I have it on good authority that I won't die until I have been to Stavromila Beta. And this isn't Stavromila Beta, is it? No. Good. Goodbye. How did you do that? You think I'm going to tell you just like that what it took me 40 springs, summers and autumns of sitting on top of successive poles to work out? What about winter? What about winter? Don't you sit on the pole in the winter? Just because I set up a pole for most of my life doesn't mean I'm stupid. I go south in the winter. Got a beach house overlooking the beach. Sit on the chimney stack. Do you have any advice for a traveller? Yes. Get a beach house. It gives you somewhere to go. Look, see her down there? Yes, I consulted her, as a matter of fact. Still. (laughs) Fat lot, she knows. I got the beach house because she turned it down. What advice did she give you? Do exactly the opposite of everything she's done. (laughs) In other words, get a beach house. I suppose so. Any other advice? A beach house doesn't even have to be on the beach. Though the best ones are. We all like to congregate at boundary conditions. Really? Where land meets water. Where earth meets air. Where body meets mind. Where space meets time, we like to be on one side and look at the other. Please stop! (laughs) You can't take it, eh? (laughs) You come to me for advice, but you can't cope with anything you don't recognize. Hmm. So we'll have to tell you something you already know, but make it sound like news. Ah. Business as usual, then? Where are you from, boy? Tell you what, you're a seer. Why don't you tell me? You come from the Earth, one of them. One of them? I can't tell you anymore. But I've come all this way. You cannot see what I see because you see what you see. You cannot know what I know because you know what you know. Everything you see or hear or experience in any way at all is specific to you. You create a universe by perceiving it. 
So everything in the universe you perceive is specific to you. Hang on, can I write this down? You can pick it up by the bucket load at the spaceport. They've got racks of the stuff. Um, it says in the brochure that I can have a special prayer, individually tailored to me and my special needs. Oh, all right. Hear the prayer for you, then. <clears throat> Lord, Lord, Lord. It's best to put that bit in, just in case. You can never be too sure. Protect me from knowing what I don't need to know. Protect me from even knowing that there are things to know that I don't know. Protect me from knowing that I decided not to know about the things that I decided not to know about. Amen. That's it. Um, thank you. Oh, and there's another prayer that goes with it. That's very important. Okay. It goes, Lord, 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 protect me from the consequences of the above prayer. Amen. Thank you. Now, I suggest you get the next flight off this planet. Goodbye. Uh, well, how did you do that? Come on, Colin. Even in my highly delighted condition, I have to say it is taking all of my energy to pump the slightest part of me whatsoever into the doors in these lower reaches of the building. Yeah, I know, sir. Dingo's kidneys. Oh, suffering Zarquan. Infinitum Enterprises Hitchhiker's Guide Accountancy Department. No admittance, not even to authorized personnel. You are wasting your time here. Go away. Do not touch me with your foil fans. Infinitum Enterprises. What happened to beach shirts and that old jank spirit? Oh! How did you do that? Mixture of pleasure and pain. Never fails. If you're listening to this on planet Earth, then A, good luck to you. There's an awful lot of stuff you don't know anything about. In your case, the consequences of not knowing the stuff are particularly terrible. But then, hey, that's just the way the cookie gets completely stomped on and obliterated. B, don't imagine you know what a computer terminal is. A computer terminal is not some television with a typewriter in front of it. It's an interface where the mind and body can connect with the universe and move bits of it about. If one were to gain access to the nerve center of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, in other words, it's a counting computer, by, say, using a stolen IdentiEase card, one would discover a bank of terminals lining the walls of a minus 10th floor room in its basement. These are portals onto every aspect of the guide's operations, and any order, say, to disallow a researcher's expenses, is input on a virtual level. Using a headset equipped with sensory deceptors, the operator will find themselves in a universe once only accessed from a single office on the fifth floor of the building, but which now has expanded in every conceivable way. Wow! It is a universe of densely enfolded worlds, of wild topographies, towering mountain peaks, heart-stopping ravines, of moons shattering off into seahorses, hurtful blurting crevices, silently heaving oceans, and bottomless hurtling hooping funts. And in a valley below the ledge on its tallest mountain where Ford Prefect finds himself clinging, stands a single shack on a deserted seashore. And I thought accountancy was boring. Think, Ford. It's a simulated reality. You can snap back out of it at any moment. I am quite all right, Mr. Prefect. Quite all right. Just checking. Okay. This must be a four-dimensional topological model of the guide's financial systems I'm in. And somebody or something will very shortly want to know why. 
And here they come. What is happening, Mr. Prefect, sir? I'm being inspected by the virtual accountancy creature, steely-eyed, pencil-moustached, with wings, and carrying laser guns. I am happy virtual guns cannot hurt you. I'm not sure this universe is as virtual as it looks. Who are you? What do you want? What are you doing here? What is your authorization? Why haven't you got? Here, boys, my identities card. Certainly there is. Clear all expenses for Ford Prefect Beetlejuice 5 Sector retrospectively and allow this dino charge card all privileges with roaming. Got the number? Yes, sir. Immediately, sir. Without delay. Yes, sir. Oh, I wish I'd thought of this before. Ford! You're back! Say, Ford? What the Zark are you doing here? Hey! Where's Monkey Man? Arthur, I don't know. This is really important. On a scale of 1 to 10, 13. I know what's going on. Zaphod, if that were true, then I've lost just about every bet I've ever made with myself. What do you mean, I'm back? You don't remember? Last time you were here? This is eerily familiar to a conversation I had with a barman in Handold City. Hey, so your memory is out of sync with yourself too, whoopee! That's why I came back to the guide building. Trillian said I was dreaming or drunk when I was last here, and you know what I found out? Drunk is better? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The presidency, the cricket robots, it was all a front. The Vogon set it all up, and this guy's been controlling it all from here. Which guy? Zani Whoop. Van Hal. He's a Vogon. A plastic surgery, liposucked, fake tan, business-suited Vogon boss. The big cheese with a side order of jeweled crab. But why would the Vogons want to take over the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Their paperwork was backing up. Every time they thought they had destroyed a planet in a plural zone, it reappeared. To stop the whole bureaucracy imploding, they need to bridge all available realities. Even mine. Wow. Some aquatic mammals from Earth gave them the idea. Dent's an aquatic mammal, isn't he? Well, he likes taking baths, but I don't think he's much of a physicist. Hey, you've heard of the total perspective vortex, right? Well, I've heard you boast that you were the only person to survive it. Yeah, well, I am, in a way. <laughs> but it isn't just a torture machine, Frood. It's dimensional bridging software. And this was the prototype. Thought that cricket war was a cheap sideshow. The Vogons shrank the total perspective vortex into a portable unit, and it's got the voice of those Lintilla chicks. What Lintilla chicks? It's scary and sexy beyond anything. Except maybe riding a few Alonis fire dragon naked. No, it's worse than that. You can't rub cream on this baby. Look, you have to find the package and get it out of the hitchhiker's building. Me? Why can't you do it? Hey, dude, I've just spent virtual months in a virtual shack with virtually the most boring man in the universe and his actually smelly virtual cat. I need a very real and a very large pan-galactic goggle blaster inside me. Now! You ain't going no further, bitch! Only Zach wasn't gonna save you now! Ah! This program is brought to you by Clino Dent, the toothpaste with atomic whitener. Glow in the dark, bright as the sun, Clino Dent's for everyone! Now with vibrating nanofoam. And later on Home Brain Box. Oh, not again. Excuse me. Oh, yes, sir. Can I get you something? Paper napkin? No, uh, is that the only movie channel on this flight? 
We're just coming up to the Lamuella hyperspace jump point, sir. After that, we pick up Fordworks fictional news and ThinkVid. Hmm. Crew to seats for hyperjump in 30 seconds. Oh, you'll want to fasten your seatbelt, sir. Done. Just going to fasten this one, too. Uh, yes, we were wondering why you booked two seats when you only needed one. I always do on interstellar flights. In about 15 seconds, I'm hoping for a miracle. Shouldn't you find your seat? Yes, uh, yes, of course. Three, two, one. Ah, folks, we seem to have hit a major glitch in hyperspace. For those of you who have not given up addictive substances, uh... Smoke them if you got them. But, Mr. Prefect, I still don't understand what you did inside the account's computer in only three minutes and 30 seconds. Oh, the job only took 30 seconds, then two minutes to find out what's going on from my cousin, then another minute to reverse-engineer evidence of my visit by programming in the sort of mental blocks that otherwise perfectly normal people develop when elected to high political office. Elevator. Hello, I'm to be your serious cybernetics corporation happy vertical people transporter taking you, the visitor to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Enough already. Floor 23 and step on it. Mmm, seems to be a popular floor today. Share and joy, share Popular floor? That doesn't sound good. I'll sound however you want, sir. Perhaps you'd like me to sing some more. Let your pile be... May I ask what joy you discovered from your cousin, Mr. Beeblebrox, sir? Oh, mostly that he's very, very bored, so I hitched him a lift to the nearest bar with my electronic thumb. The rest I'll keep to myself for now, Colin, just in case you get caught and reprogrammed again. Inspired thinking. I am humbled by it. Colin, shut this thing up. And a privilege it is to do so. I will hack into its circuits. Ah, warning. If you are disconnecting my higher brain function, you should know that, like all serious cybernetics happy people transporters, I can see into the future, and I must warn you that... My circuit deactivated. Ah, pity. It was finally going to say something useful. Okay. The nanobots have rebuilt the editor's door, again. When I break through, you cover me. The drinks trolley may have gone, but I saw a sofa, so I'll duck behind that. If Zani Whoop is still unconscious, all well and good, we just put back his identities and leave. If not, we play it by ear while you think of something. After three. Ready? Three! What? Oh, yeah. Ah! That's him. Evil Brox? No, you idiot. Prefect. Do try and keep up. Ah, Zaniwu, you're awake. Where did the sofa go? Ah, rocket launcher on Vogon's shoulder. Bad sign. Prefect, you're fired. Literally. Colin, the window! Colin! Do try and keep up. Can Ford Prefect survive a fall from the Hitchhiker's Guide Building's 23rd floor, equipped with nothing but a threadbare towel and a dubious credit card? Has Arthur Dent finally met a grisly fate at Stavromula Beta? What is the reality behind the portable total perspective unit? Random layers of multidimensionality are sandwiched together in the next mouth-watering episode of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. In that episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, William Franklin was the book and Rula Lenske was the voice of the bird. Simon Jones played Arthur Dent, Jeffrey McGiven, Ford Prefect, Mark Wing Davy, Seyfard Beeblebrox, and Jonathan Price was Zani Whoop. Syed Jaffrey was the old man on the pole, and Miriam Margulies, the smelly photocopier woman. 
Sandra Dickinson was Tricia McMillan, Lorelai King the stewardess, and Andrew Seacombe was Colin the robot. Roger Gregg played the doctor, Philip Pope the Grebulon underling, and Michael Fenton Stevens was the Grebulon lieutenant. The announcer was John Marsh. The surround mix was by Paul Dealey, and additional effects by Ken Humphrey and Paul Weir. The script editor was John Langdon, and the music was by Paul Wicks Wickens. The production manager was Joe Wheeler, and the production assistant was Susie Matthews. The programme was adapted, directed and co-produced by Dirk Maggs. The producers were Helen Chatwell and Bruce Hyman, and it was an above-the-title production for BBC Radio 4. Listeners on planets other than one of the parallel Earths are requested not to give away any of the plot of next week's episode, just in case the Vogon demolition fleet fails to arrive in the next seven days. Or doesn't. Depending on which Earth we're referring to, uh, I think. Do you mind if I have a lie down? I'm getting another of those headaches. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams Quintessential Phase Lamuella is listed briefly in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as a planet partly bisected by a plural zone near a hyperspace jump point on the eastern rim of the galaxy. It is, by and large, unknown, which is a pity, for upon Lamuella, every aspect of making the humble sandwich has been developed beyond the dreams of even the picnic food epicures on Thermos Magna 6. Choosing the right bread, for instance, the sandwich maker, in Lamuella's only significant settlement, spends many months in daily consultation and experiment with Grap the baker, and between them they have created a loaf of exactly a consistency dense enough to slice thinly and neatly, while still being light, moist, and having that fine nuttiness which best enhances the roasted, sliced flesh of a perfectly normal beast. The proper tools, of course, are crucial and many of the days that the sandwich maker will spend silhouetted against the glow of Strinder the toolmaker's forge, making slow sweeping movements through the air, trying one knife after another. First, there is the knife for the slicing of the bread, a firm, authoritative blade which imposes a clear and defining will on a loaf. Then there is the butter spreading knife, a whippy little number, but still with a firm backbone to it. King amongst the knives, of course, is the carving knife. This is the blade that not merely imposes its will on the medium through which it moves, it must work with it, be guided by the grain of the meat. The sandwich maker will flip each slice with a smooth flick of the wrist onto the bread, trim it with four deft strokes, and then add a few slices of newcomer and fladdish and a touch of splagberry sauce before applying the topmost crowning layer of bread. There are those in the village who are happy chopping wood, those who are content carrying water. An old thrashbarg may be head man, soothsayer, and all-round busybody, but to be the sandwich maker is heaven itself. Or so the sandwich maker thinks, as he sings, as he works. 
Sandwich maker! Ah, Drimple, is this the last of the perfectly normal beast? Oh, oh uh, yes, sandwich maker. But next room day they will migrate again at 4.30 in the afternoon. Old Thrashbog predicts it. He says this herd will yield maybe seven dozen carcasses. <laughs> that should tide us over till the return migration. Let's hope Thrashbog has examined his picker-bird entrails correctly. Thrashbog is never wrong. Not about perfectly normal beasts. Surprising, considering that while the rest of the village risked life and limb on the actual hunt, he makes up stories about his bravery and the safety of his heart. Sandwich maker, the almighty Bob has sent another chariot. Hmm? Not a fiery one such as that which bore you unto us, but a smooth one with gold forester stripes. It sailed in the clearing an hour ago. Old Thrashbog is propitiating it. Good grief. Show me. Oh, yeah, come on. Almighty Bob, thou hast vouchsafed us the world of Lamuella for our dwelling place, the migrations of the perfectly normal beast for our food. The droppings of the picker birds to fertilize our crops. And many moons ago, by fiery chariot, you sent unto us your only begotten sandwich maker to make our sandwiches. Since which time we have known on what side our bread is buttered. Uh, um, uh, oh, fresh bird. What? I'm sorry to interrupt, Nat, but why did Almighty Bob send his only begotten sandwich maker? In a burning, fiery chariot, rather than perhaps uh, in one that might have landed quietly. I mean, like, like this one. Well, oh, Grant's got a point there. Mysterious ways. After all, if Almighty Bob loves his people, why would he send a chariot that burned down half the forest, filling it with gold? Yes. And injuring the sandwich maker quite badly, yeah. so that he limps heavily these days. I couldn't string that. The logic of the tool maker is not gainsaid. Shush! Shush! You unbelievers. <laughs> Who are you to argue with the ineffable will of Bob? What does ineffable mean? Look it up! Lend us your dictionary, then! It is forbidden! Why? It is not for you to question the will of Almighty Bob. And if you don't have faith, you'll burn. <laughs> So let me get on with my propitiating before the ghosts emerge from the forest and frighten away the perfectly normal beasts. Well, well. Oh, a spaceship maker. Hmm. Oh, now, right now with their words of wisdom and partake of fire. The fiery chariot sandwich maker. Now back off and let me propitiate almighty Bob, who knowest all things. What the sort was that? Hello, Arthur. Trillium. We thought we'd arrived at some Iron Age backwater. We nearly left again. Lucky you appeared. We? Yeah. Random. What now? Come and meet your father. Under the towel! Quick! Immediately, Mr. Prefect. Oh, uh, uh, 
Hold the corners tightly. We are 300 feet above ground. Sheesh! Try not to lose altitude. It gives me validation beyond the measure to burn out my anti-gravity circuits in your service. <laughs> Did you see them? Vogons! Vogons really have taken over the Hitchhiker's Guide building. Yes! The wonderful new management! The old management was also fabulous, of course. Though I'm not sure if I thought so at the time. Uh, uh, before I reprogrammed you to be happy instead of officious. How true! How wonderfully true! How bubblingly, frothingly, burstingly true! And joy! Oh. All of them below oh. set up rocket launchers. Oh, ah! Sovereign Zarkwon! Drop me over the nearest ledge! I burst uh, fluffy pink bunny love in fulfilling uh, your wish! Burst later! For now, drop me off! Consider it an ecstasy-inducing joy! Ah! Uh, uh, oh, Dingo's kidneys! Oh! Blacked out windows! What floor is this? Thirty! Research and development! Couldn't you just hug it? <sighs> R&D used to be on the fifth floor. Incoming! It's paradise. <sighs> we need to be inside. Not stuck out here like targets. Break the glass, Colin. The windows can't be broken. The glass was reinforced after the Frogstar attack. What Frogstar attack? The one that led the engineers to upgrade the windows. But we broke out of Van Hal's window. That is because the engineers were not expecting an impact from inside the building. Right. Mm, ah, so logically, what would the engineers not be expecting someone sitting on the ledge outside a window to do? They wouldn't be expecting me to be here in the first place. When people design something to be foolproof, they usually underestimate the ingenuity of complete fools. What? to be shot at while stranded on a 13th floor ledge with a complete fool. <coughs> What's that? A rocket propelled grenade. Scrumptious. No. Through the glass, something moved. A bird? There's something in there. The guide. What guide? The guide version 2 Pro. It's quite wonderful and very frightening. Not that I do fear being so happy. Shut up, Colin. Brace me while I find the cat. Nice sandwich shop. Random do come inside. No! Hmm. I'm happy here, Trillian. Hmm? They like me. I make sandwiches for them and, well, that's it really. Please make yourself comfortable. Uh, oh. Can I get you anything? Um, a sandwich? Try one, they're good. Oh, uh, uh, oh. Hmm, it is good. What's the filling? Oh, yes, that's, uh, that's perfectly normal beast. It's what? Perfectly normal beast. A bit like a buffalo. Large, charging sort of animal. You talk as if there was something odd about it. Nothing. It's perfectly normal. Oh, I see. It's just a bit odd where it comes from and goes to. Where does it come from and where does it go to? They suddenly appear a point slightly to the east of the Hondo Mountains. Thousands of them. They stampede across the Great Anhondo Plains and uh, disappear again. Well, that's it, really. Sorry, I don't really quite... Well, in the spring, they do it again, only the other way round. But why are they called perfectly normal beasts? Old Thrashbarg calls them that. He says they come from where they come from and they go to where they go to. And that it's Bob's will, and so it must be perfectly normal. Oh. Who's Bob? Don't ask. Um, Random, would you like a perfectly normal beast sandwich? I'm a vegetarian. Ah, 
You look well, Trillian. I am well. I'm very well. Look, I expect you're wondering how I found you. Yes, I was wondering exactly that. How did you find me? Well, as you may know, I work for one of the big sub-ether broadcasting networks. Oh, yes. You've done very well. That's terrific. Must be a lot of fun, all that rushing around. Oh, exhausting. I expect it must be, yes. Well, we have access to virtually every kind of information. I found your name on the passenger list of the ship that crashed. You mean they knew about the crash? They knew I'd survive? Oh, yes. But nobody's ever been to look or search or rescue. There's been absolutely nothing. Well, there wouldn't be. It's an insurance thing. They bury it. They pretend it never happened. You know they've reintroduced the death penalty for insurance company directors? Really? For what offence? What do you mean, offence? Oh, Oh, I see. Anyway, it's time for you to take responsibility, Arthur. For your daughter. But, daughter? But, 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 we never, I mean, well, I wanted to, but surely Zayford would have... Not the same species, Arthur. When I decided I wanted a child, they ran all sorts of genetic tests on me and could only find one match anywhere. Oh... It was only later that it dawned on me. They don't usually like to tell you, but I insisted. You mean you went to a DNA bank? Yes. But she wasn't quite as random as her name suggests, because, of course, you were the only Homo sapiens donor in the galaxy. Yes. It was how I could afford the seat upgrades. Some of those flights are very long, you know. Mm. You were quite a frequent flyer, weren't you? But when? How? How old? Well, in my timeline, it's about ten years since I had her, but she's obviously quite a lot older than that. I spend my life going backwards and forwards in time, you see. The job. I used to put her into daycare time zones, but you drop them off in the morning and you've simply no idea how old they'll be when you pick them up in the evening. I left her at one place for an hour, and when I came back, she'd passed puberty. Awkward. Isn't she? I've done all I can. It's over to you. I've got a war to go and cover. Mm, Nice to see you, Arthur. Goodbye, darling. Love you. You're just leaving me? Deadline. Trillium, for goodness sake, I'm all for sharing a load. But just dump me here in this stinking peasant hole. But, but, I... You're supposed to be my father? This is complete pants. There's no point in pretending this isn't hopeless. Don't tell me you love me. What? Don't start that positive parenting in a practically demented universe crap. But, right. I've had it with the whole part-time parent on a guilt trip thing. Look, I don't love you. I'm sorry, I don't even know you yet. But... Your name really is Random, is it? Random, frequent, flyer, dent. Oh, built. Despite the Vogon's reputation for bureaucratic zeal, over-reliance on paperwork and sheer bloody-minded pedantry, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Pro. Soon to be available, contact your local Infinidim Enterprises stockist to pre-order, quoting the priority code TPV. To the Galaxy points out that they're not above a little bribery and a lot of corruption, in the same way that the sea is not above the clouds, and certainly not averse to the odd covert skullduggery either. When a Vogon prosthetic captain in command of one of its constructor fleets hears the words integrity or moral rectitude, he reaches for his dictionary. And when he hears the chink of ready money in large quantities, he reaches for the rule book and throws it away. Coming up on ZZ9 Plural Z Alpha Surveillance Coordinates, Prosthetic Vogon Jolts. Excellent. Heave to in stealth mode. Patch into the gribble on base monitoring circuits. Yes, sir. In seeking so implacably the destruction of the Earth to clear the site for a new interstellar bypass, Prosthetnik Vogon Jeltz has moved somewhat above and beyond the call of his professional duty. Jeltz's problem is that having destroyed a planet located in one of the galaxy's plural zones, the Earth has been replaced by an identical world, 
identical in all respects but for an absence of sentient marine life and the occasional duplication of one or two existing humans. One of these is Trisha McMillan, in most respects a doppelganger of Arthur Dent's friend Trillian, the exceptions being her accent, the colour of her hair, her lack of a daughter and the fact that she did not leave the earth after meeting Zaphod Beeblebrox at a party. However, she has now managed to be abducted by aliens, in a nice way, and is currently visiting the remote world of Rupert, recently discovered 10th planet in Earth's solar system, and new home of the stranded and media-hungry Grebulons. It's not exactly a paradise planet, is it? Rupert is far from a star that warms your Earth, but it is an excellent location for monitoring. monitoring. Ah, Miss McMillan and wife. I hope you enjoyed the tour of our base. Yes. Now you are our guest, we must entertain you lavishly. Uh, Get the dip. I don't know what sort of Fast burger and yep. fries. Yep. Nothing but the best here. <laughs> have a nugget. Yep. I'm confused. You have all this technology far beyond us, but your quarters are furnished with plastic-covered sofas, so far, sofas yes. imitation coal fires, Ooh, lava lamps. <laughs> How did you... I mean, where did you get this? Ah, by mail order. Here's a delivery. They sent it by post? <laughs> no, <laughs> not here, no. <laughs> no, no. We have arranged a special box number in New Hampshire. New Hampshire. No. We make regular pickup visits. <laughs> how do you pay for these things? Ah, oh, credit card. My flexible friend. But how do you get them, the kids' menu special? Very easy, Miss McMillan. We stand in line. We do. After we've eaten... Do you mind if I videotape an interview with you? Well, of course not, Miss McMillan. No, we have nothing to hide here. Nothing! Look! Open the box. Take the money. Oh, oh, nothing to hide. Oh, 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 oh. Helmsman? Yes, sir? My face aches strangely. What's wrong with it? Your... You're smiling, sir. You lie! You lie like an interesting food taster! Oh! All the same, I do feel strangely amused. Yes, I'm moved to write a poem about irony. Let's see. <laughs> oh, globet of dribble oozing from the upturned corner of my mouth. You look to me like you should be the thing that droppeth from the cloud. A tiny bit of thee is stuck upon my lip. A little more is up my nose. Some has adhered to my hip. My eyes are open and glassy. My snot is thick and green. But from my ears, something obscene appears. And I think it might be me. According to the writings of old Thrashbarg, the planet Lamuella was found fully formed in the navel of a giant earwig at 4.30 one Vroonday afternoon. And although any seasoned galactic traveller with basic passes in physics and geography might have fairly serious doubts about this, it was rather a waste of time trying to argue with old Thrashbarg as he would invoke the will of Almighty Bob and that would be an end to the matter. Undeniably, however, on Lamuella the days were just a little over 25 hours long which for an Earthman basically meant an extra hour in bed every single day. And, of course, having regularly to reset his watch, which Arthur Dent rather enjoyed doing. He also felt at home with a number of suns and moons which Lamuella had, one of each, and with the fact that the planet orbited its single sun every 300 days. A good number, because it meant the year didn't drag by. Well, it didn't used to. Brandon, 
random. Someone's been using my carving knife to dig up stones to throw at the picker birds, and I think I know who it is because I watched them doing it. You can buy another knife. They don't sell them in bulk here. This is a subsistence economy. It's only a knife. Look, not content with being surly, bad-tempered, wanting to go and play in a Paleozoic era, not seeing why we have to have the gravity on the whole time, and shouting at the sun to stop following you, now you ruin my carving knife, and I don't even know if they had a Paleozoic era on this planet. I hate it. I want to leave. They're all stupid here. No, they're not. You refuse to acclimatise. Your mother shouldn't have let you have that sub-ether TV implanted in your wrist. The news alone is making you hyperactive. That's because news is happening everywhere but here. And my mother dumps me here to go off and report on some war which didn't happen. It's not her fault. The ship that was sent to fight it never arrived. And has she come back to fetch me? No. All I have for fun is the vid channels. Yes, well, you must stop showing those to the villagers. Huge spaceships crashing into each other may be amusing to you, but not to them. These people only ever saw one spaceship crash, and it was so frightening and shocking that they don't realise it's entertainment. It certainly wasn't for me. What's this? That's my watch. I don't get it. My watch. It's to tell the time. Where did you find it? You left it by the waterfall after your shower. I know what it's meant to do, but you keep on fiddling with it, and it still doesn't tell the right time or even anything like it. My Sabitha wristband can. Allowing for orbital momentum and star location, the Lamuella time, sponsored by Acutentical, is getting on for about half past four, precisely. Your watch doesn't do any of this precisely. Why do you keep it? Sentiment, really. I was given it on my 22nd birthday by my godfather. He was probably feeling guilty that he'd forgotten every birthday I'd had up till then. He'd even forgotten my name. Look at the back. To Albert on his 21st birthday. <laughs> He got the date wrong, too. <laughs> Ooh, what's that noise? Ticking. The mechanism that drives the watch. It's called clockwork. It's all hardware. <laughs> yes, it is. Could have looked after it better. That watch has survived stuff in the last few years which falls well outside the warranty, which presumably limited its guaranteed accuracy to the Earth, providing the day was 24 hours long and the planet didn't get too demolished by Vogons, which it did, utterly, and which is why I'm here. And that reminds me... Random, I forbid you to marry a Vogon. <laughs> you what? Nothing. Just fulfilling a promise I made to myself a long time ago. <sighs> At least you were born somewhere with a name. Do you know where I was born? No. I was born in a spaceship that was going from somewhere to somewhere else, which only turned out to be another somewhere that my mother had to get to somewhere else again from. Yes, well, that would make it hard. It makes you feel you're always supposed to be somewhere else. Always in the wrong place. Add to that the fact that we were travelling through time as well. And I was not only always feeling I was in the wrong place, but at the wrong time. I don't ever fit. You can fit if you want. <laughs> what? Here? In the worst place she ever dumped me. With the father who gave me this precious and magical burden of life in return for a seat upgrade. Sandwich biker! Sandwich biker! Another two-headed fish that's really two fish cut in half and sewn together badly. Quiet, wench, or Bob will cast you into the outer darkness. Fine by me. I was born there. Sandwich, mate. A silver chariot descended this morning into the Anhondo foothills, and a creature of metal came out. He gave unto Drimple this sacrificial gift in return for a thumbprint and a scrape of skin from the nape of his neck. Express delivery by robot drone. Oh, let me see. It is a sign. 
The perfectly normal beasts are about to return. The waybill says it's from Antwerp City on Sacro Piliahensha. That's where they have a year-round carnival. Let's open it. Calm yourself, sandwich maker's daughter. Let your mind dwell on the ineffable mystery of the giant earwig. There is no giant earwig, you stupid, smelly old fart. Oh, preserve me. I shall intercede for you with the almighty. You shouldn't upset him. Do you know the number of spaceship crashes he's had to start incorporating into his holy stories to keep the villagers interested? Let's open the packet. No. Why not? It's not addressed to me. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's addressed to Ford Prefect. Care of me. Ford Prefect? Is he the one who... Yes. What do you think it is? I don't know. Something very worrying, though. How do you know? It always is when Ford Prefect's involved. Well, that's ridiculous. No, you don't understand. It's like me trying to explain the watch. It ticks, but that's about all you can say for it so far from Earth. And you don't understand there's somewhere this watch belongs, where it works, where it fits. Random. Forget it. You go back and fit in with your stupid sandwiches. I'll go and live in the forest with the other ghosts. The forest is not safe after dark. I'll get her back. Look after that package, would you? Of course, of course. What package? Baseliner wreckage. Don't be such a wuss. Ah! Out of the way, squirrel! Chew! What? You want me to take it? Okay. A mouldy paper napkin. Just what I needed. And you want me to drink rainwater out of your acorn? Curiouser and curiouser. You ain't going no further, bitch! What? Only Zach wasn't going to save you now. Don't shoot. Ah, what the? This program is brought to you by Only Zach one. The ghost. Glow in the dark, bright as the sun. Clean a dance for everyone. Now with vibrating nano. The ship's onboard hologram system still working. Random. Random. For a long period of time, the Hitchhiker's Guide has reported the speculation and controversy about where the so-called missing matter of the universe has gone. Throughout the galaxy, the science departments of major universities continue to acquire elaborate equipment to probe the hearts of distant galaxies, only to discover, when the missing matter is eventually located, that it is, in fact, all the stuff which the equipment is packed in. There is much missing matter in the package which Random has brought into her cave in the Hondo Mountains. Little squashy, round white pellets, which she is discarding for as yet unborn generations of physicists to track down and discover all over again. Hmm. All that packaging for a stupid dinner plate. What's the point? Not a dinner plate. You're not a black picker bird either. Excuse me, I just have to calibrate myself. Can you hear me when I say this? Is that you talking, origami bird? Good. And can you hear me when I say this? Of course I can. What do you want? 
Obviously not. Good. Well, your hearing range tops out at 16 kilohertz. So, is this comfortable for you? No harmonics squeeching in the upper register? Good. I can use those as data channels. Now, how many of me can you see? One. Good. What are you? We'll come to that in a minute. Just how many of me now, please? Oh, for Zark's sake! Thousands! Mirrored into infinity! I see. Still infinite in extent, but at least we're homing in on the right dimensional matrix. Good. No, the answer is an orange and two lemons. Lemons? If I have three lemons and three oranges, and I lose two oranges and a lemon, what do I have left? Huh? So you think that time flows that way, do you? Interesting. Whatever. Well, I can tell you that in your universe, you move freely in three dimensions that you call space. You move in a straight line in a fourth, which you call time, and stay rooted to one place in a fifth, which is the first fundamental of probability. After that, it gets complicated. And there's all sorts of stuff going on in dimensions 13 to 22 that you really wouldn't want to know about. How the hell do you know? I am the guide. In your universe, I am your guide. In fact, I inhabit what is technically known as the whole sort of general mishmash. Come outside, and I'll show you. In the rain? Precisely. What can you see? Water falling through the bloody air. That's what rain does. Anything else you want to know, or can I go home? You want to go home? I haven't got a home. Look into the rain. I'm looking into the rain. What else is there to look at? In the water. What shapes do you see? Oh, my father. Random! Looking for me in the rain. Random! Okay, so you can project images into the rain of things happening elsewhere. Well, what's that proof? Only that it's no more there or not there than the rain was. It's all just images in the mishmash. Here's another one for you. More fries? A pop tart? My mother? No. I know my mother when I see her. It is not. Well, her hair's different, but... That person is part of the extent of your mother on the probability axis. Do what? Space, time and probability all have axes along which it is possible to move. You and your father's lives are a sum of the inherently changing probabilities your travels have exposed you to. Oh, that's tosh. Ah. You see the inconsistencies, but not the rule that they prove. You said you wanted to go home. Would you like to see your home? See it? Hello? It was destroyed! No. It is discontinuous along the probability axis. Look. The Earth! Lots of Earths! Like a string of beads! With gaps! What was that? The probability axis of a discontinuously probable object. The world of your origin lies on a fault line in the landscape of probability, which means that, at certain coordinates, the whole of it simply ceases to exist. Typical of all things that lie within the plural sectors. Want to go and see for yourself? To Earth? Is that possible? Because of the filters through which you perceive it, your universe is vast to you. Vast in time, vast in space. But I was built with no filters at all, which means I perceive the mishmash which contains all possible universes, but which itself has no size at all. For me, anything is possible. I am omniscient and omnipotent, extremely vain, and what is more, I come in a handy self-carrying leather wallet. Is this true? Not necessary. <laughs> Are you winding me up? As I warned you, anything is possible. Okay, let's go to Earth. Let's go to Earth. Where it exists on its, um... Probability axis. 
where it hasn't been blown up. So you're the guide. How do we get a lift? Reverse engineering. To me, the flow of time is irrelevant. You decide what you want. I then merely ensure that it has already happened. Okay. I want a ship to take me to Earth. Will this one do? The brief was a little vague. An RW6! How did an RW6? I've always wanted... I know. Uh-oh. You have a stone you keep in your pocket for emergencies. Use it. Yes, of course. <coughs> Come on, bird. Arthur, you're standing on my head. Events that draw themselves to a conclusion across multidimensional levels will draw themselves to a conclusion. Closure will be final and irrevocable. And I am your guide. And in the last ever episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, what happens is inevitably what must happen. Let me guide you. All is for the best in the best of all possible worlds, even if it does not have much time left. In that episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, William Franklin was the book and Rula Lenskir was the voice of the bird. Simon Jones played Arthur Dent, Jeffrey McGiven, Ford Prefect, Susan Sheridan, Trillian, Sandra Dickinson, Trisha McMillan, and Sam Bayar was random. Griff Rhys-Jones played Old Thrashbug, Roger Gregg, Strinder, Andy Taylor, the Grebulon leader, Lorelai King, the patient, and Michael Fenton-Stevens, the Grebulon lieutenant. Andrew Seacombe was Colin the robot, Toby Longworth, prosthetic Vogon Jelts, and Brian Cobby was the speaking clock. The announcer was John Marsh, the surround mix was by Paul Dealey, and additional effects by Ken Humphrey and Paul Weir. The script editor was John Langdon, and the music was by Paul Wicks-Wiggins. The production manager was Joe Wheeler, and the production assistant was Susie Matthews. The programme was adapted, directed and co-produced by Dirk Maggs. The producers were Helen Chatwell and Bruce Hyman, and it was an above-the-title production for BBC Radio 4. Listen to the bird, and let it guide you. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams Quintessential Phase According to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, there are rules that determine the reaction of most life forms to emerging technologies. One, anything that is in your world when you're born is normal and ordinary and is just a natural part of the way things work. Two, anything that's invented in the first third of your lifespan 
is new and exciting and revolutionary and you can probably get a career in it. Three, anything invented once you are middle-aged is against the natural order of things. The guide goes on to say, goes on, goes on. Please wait. This entry is being updated over the sub-ethernet. The system will be down for a measurable period. Go away! I've been pestered by squirrels all night. They keep on trying to give me magazines and face wipes. Arthur, is this anywhere near where your ship crashed? Yes. Well, it happens. Ship's cabin robots get destroyed. The cybermines that control them survive and infest the local wildlife. Can turn a whole ecosystem into some kind of helpless service industry, handing out hot towels and drinks to passers-by. By the way, who was that young woman who cracked me over the head and stole my spaceship? My daughter. Beg your pardon? My daughter, Ford. Is there a mother involved? Trillion. Trillion? She told me once she had a kid, but I didn't think... No. I was financing my travel with donations to sperm banks. And she made an early withdrawal. Hmm. I was hoping it might become a standing order. Ford, what are you doing on Lamuella? Oh, long story. I was coming to pick up a parcel I'd sent to myself, care of you. It's something unimaginably dangerous. So you sent it to me? You're the one person I could rely on to be absolutely boring and not open it. Except that your daughter's got it now. Got what? The new guide, the bird. She's made off with it and with my ship. And when I say my ship, I mean an RW6. A what? An RW6, for Zark's sake. I've got this great new relationship going between my credit card and the guide's central computer, and she's stolen my ride. Oh, there must be some way off this sarking planet. We could sit around and wait for a passing spacecraft, I suppose. Oh, yes, and how many spacecraft have visited this flea pit recently? Well, mine came here. Well, crashed here a few years ago. Then Trillion, of course, and the parcel delivery, and you, and... Oh, you're right. That's it. This is important, Arthur. And my daughter's out there all alone in the galaxy. Can we feel sorry for the galaxy later? It's the guide I'm worried about. It's been taken over, changed beyond all recognition. Oh, oh, oh! I'm incoherent with excitement. Please tell me what fascinating bit of badger-sputumly inconsequential trivia you'll assail me with next. I leapt out of a high-rise window. No chance of you doing it again. I did. The first time I managed to save myself with the help of a security robot I reprogrammed called Colin. And having saved yourself very cleverly once, you very sensibly went and jumped again. Naturally, and fell straight into the open cockpit of a passing jet town car whose pilot had inadvertently pushed the eject button instead of changing tracks on the stereo. Even I couldn't think that that was particularly clever of me. Oh, I don't know. I expect you probably sneaked into his jet car the previous night and set it to play the pilot's least favourite track or something. No, I didn't. Though, coincidentally, somebody else did. And this is the nub. You could trace the chain of coincidences back. Turned out, the new guide had done it. It's not an electronic book anymore. It's a bird. What bird? The one your daughter is rampaging through the cosmos with. Looks pretty, talks big, uses temporal reverse engineering the way Zaphod mixes gargle blasters. Arthur, nobody understands what's been unleashed here. Oh. Would that explain the Earth? What Earth? A huge hologram projected onto the rain last night. The Earth. Lots of Earths. Like a string of sausages projected in the sky. Sounds like it was explaining the infinitely multitudinous possibilities of your planet to your daughter. Blow up one, another pops into existence. Handy, but confusing. Hmm. Oh, I think I've got... An idea? A sandwich. You eat perfectly normal beast, don't you? Not come across that one. Hmm. Hmm. When I found the bird, the guide mark two, 
It put on the most fantastic multi-dimensional display I've ever seen. It then said that it would put its services at my disposal in my universe, whether I liked it or not. I said we'd see about that. And it said that we would. That's when I packed it up and sent it to you for safety. Whose safety? Then, what with one thing and another, my best options seemed to be jumping out of the window again, being fresh out of other options at the time. Did I mention the passing jet car? Anyway, whether I liked it or not, the guide was now working for me. And if you've got the guide, you think that you're the one it's working for. Hmm. Any more sandwiches? Mm. Have my crust. But now, my daughter has the bird, the guide... She's the next one in the chain who'll think that everything is going fabulously for her. Until she's done, whatever it is, mm -hmm. then it'll all be up for her, too. The new guide uses unfiltered perception. Do you know what that means? Me? I've been making sandwiches, for Bob's sake. Unfiltered but Who's Bob? Never mind. OK. The bird, the new guide, perceives everything. We don't. And because it perceives every possible universe, the bird is present in every possible universe, existing in total perspective. So they only have to make one of it for everybody to have one. Yes? Ish. With unfiltered perception, any move it makes has the power of a virus. It propagates across distance, time and a million other dimensions, which means that somewhere there is one key instruction. But where's the final application? You know what this means, Arthur? Sorry, I nodded off for a moment. Think about this. You know who I saw at the guide offices? Vogons. The Vogons are behind this. Good grief. Of course. Oh, good. I've said a word you understand at last. But do you know who I found trapped inside their virtual accounting software? That noise. The thunder. It isn't thunder. It's the spring migration of the perfectly normal beasts. It started early. What are these animals you keep on about? Our ticket off the planet. What? Cup of tea, Mr. Villain. What's it say on the door? Do not disturb. No, below that. Go away. Thank you. Is there a problem? I'm not with you. You are. That's the problem. Yes, Miss McMillan. Thank you. This is Trisha McMillan reporting from the surface of the planet Rupert. No. The stuff in the ship going there first. Robert Rupert, Rupert, in something like seven of your Earth hours. Hours. Which means you must have some form of propulsion unknown to us on Earth. Oh, you mean is it a warp drive warp or something drive. like that? Uh, you'd have to ask our flight engineer, Mr. Scott. Scotty. Which one is he? We don't know. We've all lost our minds, you see. <laughs> Who's gonna believe this? This is Rupert, the home of the Rebulons. It may look to you, the viewer, like a bunch of slightly thin and discolored people sitting around watching televisions that show reruns of MASH and the Rockford Files. I'll be laughed out of the business. This is clearly alien technology on a dramatic scale. Huge gray buildings under the dark canopy of a clear pressure dome. Could be a studio set from just about any low-budget science fiction movie. And here comes the Grebulon leader. <laughs> Looking like some guy in costume and makeup standing in front of a cheap cardboard set. Hello? Leader. Miss McMillan. I cannot tell you how much I enjoy your shows on TV. I am your greatest fan. I'm so glad you've been able to visit us on Rupert. Rupert. And help us triangulate our astrological position. Here is the book I want you to use. Book. You and your planets by Gail Andrews. There's nothing of any use here at all. 
Oh, my God. I left astronomical research because I couldn't prove that a glamorous alien with two heads once tried to pick me up at a party. I switched careers to TV, and now I dream up an alien race of people stuck on a remote outpost of our solar system, filling their cultural vacuum with our media junk. It's happened again. I have no recollection of faking any of this. But if I ever show this to anybody, I'll be a laughingstock. Wait a minute. What are those? What is it? Miss McMillan, it's an alien spaceship. What? An alien spaceship in Regent's Park. Some girl with a funny-looking bird keeps asking for you. For me? There's a taxi outside with a camera crew. Where's my bag? Oh, never mind. No, no, wait, look. That freeze frame, do those buildings look like huge gun turrets to you? Yes. What is it? The sci-fi channel? Uh, never mind. Just keep the door locked. Many, many light years from anywhere lies the abandoned planet of Vogue Somewhere on its fetid, fog-bound mudbanks stands, surrounded by the broken and empty carapaces of its last few jeweled scuttling crabs, a stone monument which marks the place where it is thought the species Vogon Vogon Blurtus first arose. On the monument is carved an arrow which points away into the fog, under which are inscribed the words, The Buck Stops There. There, in this instance, is the flagship of prosthetic Vogon Jeltz's constructor fleet. <coughs> People of Slazia Arvea, this is prosthetic Vogon Jeltz of the Intergalactic Hyperspace Planning Council. The plans for development of the outlying regions of the galaxy. The captain's job the all comes down, in essence, to one instruction. And your planet is one of those scheduled for demolition. Oh, I love my job. Shall I just press the button? Oh, no, 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 not that button, sir. That's the blow us up button. Whew, avoid that. He is to put a tick in a box on a checklist when he has carried it out. Particle cannon! Particle cannon. I, sir, make it so. He has carried out the instruction once before, but a number of troublesome circumstances have prevented him from putting the tick in the box. One of them is the plural nature of this galactic sector, where anything you demolish keeps on reappearing. That will soon be taken care of. Back to the Earth. Aye, sir. Another problem has been the irritating and anarchic device called the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That is now well and truly taken care of. Coming together just like Mother said. And through temporal reverse engineering, its successor is the agency through which everything else will be taken care of, including a small group of people who continually refuse to be where they are supposed to be when they are supposed to be there particularly the two who are stranded on the planet Lamuella. Wave the towel higher! Flick it! Careful! Don't get run over! This isn't working! We'll be killed if we try to jump onto a stampeding, perfectly normal beast. Well, you will! Pardon? Ford, have you ever heard of Stavromula Beta? Don't think so. How do you spell it? Oh, no. You remember I told you about Agrajag? You mean the guy who was convinced you were getting him killed over and over again? Yes. One of the places he claimed I'd got him killed is called Stavromula Beta. Someone tries to shoot me, it seems. I duck, and Agrajag, or one of his many reincarnations, gets hit. It seems that this has definitely happened at some point in time. So, I suppose I can't get killed, at least until after I've ducked on Stavromula Beta. Yeah, well, I wouldn't bet my life on stopping a one-and-a-half-ton perfectly normal beast armed with nothing but a towel. But they are a way out of here. They gallop up this plane, turn by the hills at the far end, and just disappear. 
and they return at the next migration. Well, it certainly looks like it might be some kind of evidence of dimensional drift. Which is what? A multi-dimensional nexus intersecting this planet. Which means we can ride our way out of here. Exactly. But waving that towel around like a matador isn't going to do it. You've got to flick it more. You need more follow-through from the elbow. What about you? You need more suppleness in the wrist. You need more after-flourish. You need a bigger towel. You need a peck-a-bird. What? Hello, old Thrashbark. To attract the attention of a perfectly normal beast, you need a peck-a-bird. Like this. The bird he's holding. What is it? A pick-a-bird. Its eggs make rather a good omelette. The secret is whipping them like... I don't want a zarking recipe. I just want to be sure it's a real bird and not a multi-dimensional cyber nightmare. So, is it written the Bob shall once more take back unto himself the benediction of his once-given sandwich maker? He's balmy, isn't he? He always talks like this. Ah, oh, venerable thrash park. I'm afraid I'm going to have to be popping off now. But young Drimple, my apprentice, will be a fine sandwich maker in my stead. Oh, sandwich maker from Bob. Yes? Life, life, life will be a very great deal less weird without you. Do you know, I think that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. Old man, where do these beasts go? To the domain of the king. What king? Come, let us show the bird to the beasts. Then you will ride there. Trillion Astra! I want to see Trillion Astra! Now step away from the flow saucer, please, miss. Come a step closer and I'll throw this rock at your head! We can't locate a Trillion Astra. I told you before, her Earth name is Trisha McMillan. I know she's here! Brandon. Yes, little bird? Say the word and I can make him go away forever. I... no, don't! Then I'm needed elsewhere. No! Where did you go? Where's my bird? Keep away! All of you! How's my hair? Yeah? No shiny? How's that? Good. Turn over. Recording. Take one. No sleep. Cue in three, two, one. This is Trisha McMillan reporting from Regent's Park, where an astonishing sight has brought London to a standstill. I'm just moving up to the barriers to see if I can have a word with a teenage girl who has just arrived in a spaceship. You! Hello! Can I just ask, uh, are you from Zaford? You can change your hair color and your accent and hide here, but you're still my mother! What? I don't think I've ever seen anything quite so stupid in my life. Shh! They fascinate the beasts! Bob knows why. And once a perfectly normal beast is fascinated, it becomes docile. Have an off along. Get on the beast. And both of you. Yuck. How can something so delicious smell so rank? You've obviously never met eccentric galumbits. No, sandwich maker. Go! Hold tight, Arthur. Can you see anything? No! Go! Ride that beast! Ride that perfectly normal beast to the domain of the king! What king? He just said the king! I didn't know there was a the king! Nor did I! Hold tight, for goodness sake! Except, of course, for the king, and he obviously didn't mean him. What king? 
I'm only saying that if he didn't mean the king, I don't know what he means. Look out! Here comes the end of the valley! Are you sure we're doing the right thing? No! But wherever these animals vanish to, we're about to find out! Hold on! Where are we? The domain of the king. Look. The domain of the king, bar and grill. Not sure if that's irony or anticlimax. Are you kidding? Look at these spaceships parked outside. The pink one. I'm buying that spaceship. It's all chrome and fins. That's class. I'll teach them to make me a restaurant critic. What do you mean? The old dino charge card. Let's go run up some expenses. I do for you, gents. A couple of beers, a couple of bacon rolls, that pink thing outside, and whatever you're having yourself. Yeah, not sure that pink thing's for sale. Sure it is. How much you want? It ain't mine to sell. So whose? Good-looking dude with the band. Dark hair, gold suit. Wait here, Arthur. Mm -hmm. Keep the tab open. New here, son? Me? Just rode into town. Yeah, nice weather for it. Oh, I hadn't noticed. Okay, it's cool. We got the pink thing. He's selling it to you? Giving it to us for free. Cheapers. Hmm. You know, Arthur, it's at times like this that I feel that what the big guy says is right. Which big guy? The one at the mic. Let it all go is what he said. Take the ship. Take it with my blessing. Be good to him. How many beers have you had? But then you think of guys like Infinity Enterprises and you think they are not going to get away with it. It is my sacred and holy duty to see those guys suffer. Hey, Lamar. Switch on the stage lights, man. You got it, King. Hey, Arthur. How many singers does it take to change a light bulb? One, two. One, two. Uh, bartender, let me put something on the tab for the singer. I asked for a special request. Uh, how much? Well, I was thinking... Uh, uh. Is he all right? Just needed to take the weight off his feet. Ford, will that ship get us to Earth? Sure will. Oh, no. Uh, lend me your guide. Here. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Earth. Earth. Mostly harmless. It's there. The Earth is still there. That's where Random will be going. The bird was showing her the Earth in the rainstorm. Quiet, Arthur. I paid to hear this song. Our lovely world, so lovely. And everything so nice. Ford, are you crying? And everyone so happy. Dust in my eye. Beneath the ink black. He has to go. Not till I've reviewed the restaurant. Write a review of this place? Filing the review validates the expenses claim. Okay. The beer is good and cold, local wildlife nicely eccentric. The bar singer is, without exaggeration, the best in the known universe. And that's about it. Zabitha Send doesn't need much, just a validation. And this bill is going to need some validating. How much did you tip the singer? More money than the colonel made for him in an entire career of doing rubbish movies and casino gigs. Just for doing what he does best, singing in a bar. And he negotiated it himself. With any luck, this is a good moment for him and a very bad one for Infinidim Enterprises. We're out of here. Thanks, Al. Hey, take it easy for me. Y'all come back now. 
Let's flash the plastic and see what that pink thing can do. <laughs> you summoned us, Captain Picard? Yes, Lieutenant Kojak. I am troubled. Huh? Our mission was a watching brief, but I'm bored with monitoring the Earth, to be honest. I am bored with Cagney and Lacey. I am bored with the Tribbles episode of classic Star Trek. I am bored with not knowing who I am and having to pick a new name out of an old TV guide every morning. Uh, at least now we can work out our astrological charts. That, that gives us work to do, yes, and a plan to follow. But all the other equipment with us must have some purpose. If only we hadn't lost our minds when the meteorite wiped out our databanks. We need a purpose. And the TV and the PlayStation are not enough. Has something happened? Yes. Miss Macmillan helped us recalculate the movement of the planets. And now my stars foretell that I am about to have a very bad month if I don't take positive action. Today. Because today, Earth is starting to rise into Capricorn. And as a classic Taurus, this is indeed ominous for me. So you're going to take positive action? I have decided to investigate the astrological potential of our gun turrets. Gun, gun turrets? Have Huggy Bear and the two Ronnies link the targeting circuits to the astrology computer tracking Earth? Aye, ah, aye, Captain. It is as you wished, Prostetnik Vogon Jeltz. Reverse temporal engineering at its finest, little bird. You have served us very well, and very often. Are the displaced persons all on Earth? They will be reunited within minutes, and the Grebulons are arming their multidimensional disruptors. <clears throat> you have fulfilled your function. And I can shortly put a tick on my checklist without further outlay of billable resources. Now, show me the Earths, all of them. I want to see this for myself. Ah, The blue and green watery tube of Earth in all its dimensions. Closing brackets, parsing clauses, endifs, Porting repeat loops, calling recursive functions, preparing to force quit, engaging total perspective vortex. A second spacecraft, this time pink, was reported to have landed on Portland Place in central London. Its two human occupants booked rooms at and subsequently bought the Langham Hilton Hotel. Shortly afterwards, a smaller, single-person craft, bearing a lone female occupant, landed without incident in the embankment gardens. Meanwhile, scientists have reported a surge of energy... How did you buy London Zoo? Room service. We had a room and I wanted service. All the animals that can be safely returned to the wild are going to be released. They promised on reception to set up some good teams of people to monitor their progress. Apparently, their concierge can get you anything. And all on a Hitchhiker's Guide dino charge card? Yes. I suppose I should be worried that it works on this planet. Foie gras? No, thanks. I always feel bad about foie gras. A bit cruel to the geese. Salt the geese. You can't care about every damn thing. Next left, driver. You know where this club is? Stavros. Well, I've been to his original club in New York. I knew he was opening one here. When your daughter stopped chucking rocks at Trillion and demanded to be taken clubbing... It was pretty easy to find out which one she'd be taken to. But it's not Trillian, is it? It's Trisha McMillan. We're here, gents. Uh, number 42. Keep the change. Come on, Arthur. Family reunion. Down here. Reminds me of the Starship Bistro math. Excuse me. Excuse me. Thank you. Oh, can I squeeze past? I thought I told you not to come here. What? Not you. Him. Me? But I'm sorry. I think I must have mistaken you for someone else. Ford? He's still staring at me. Now what? What did you say? 
I said, now what? Uh, I'm trying desperately to remember which drug I've just taken. It must be one of those which means you can't remember. Try the men's room. Yes. Come on, Arthur. I don't like places like this, Ford. For all of my dreams of earth and home, I miss my hut on Lamuella and my knives and my sandwiches. I even miss old thrash bar. Arthur? Arthur? Trillian? Trisha? Both, it seems. Somebody please tell me what's going on and who that woman is. All of you! Stop! Arthur, the gun your daughter is holding was in the ship she stole from me. It's a Wabanata 3. Very dangerous. Let's just everybody stay calm and find out what's the matter. I thought I would fit here on the world that made me. But it turns out that even my mother doesn't know who I am. Random, I'm here. All right, joke over. Where's the hidden camera? Shut up! You abandoned me! Random, it's very important that you listen to me. We must leave. We must all leave now. What are you talking about? We're always leaving! This is not your home. You don't have one. We none of us have. The war I left you to report on, the missing ship that didn't turn up, is here, in this solar system. And its crew are lost and frightened and about to do something very misguided because they also have no home. We've got to go. It's all right, Trillian. If I'm here, we're safe. Nothing can happen to me till I go to Stavromula Beta, okay? Arthur, keep talking. That man who recognized you on the stairs, I think he's going for the gun. What are you saying? Let's all just relax. I'll take that. No! Wait! Random... No! Arthur, duck! Are you all right? You. What? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. It was an accident. Arthur, we need to leave now. We're safe, Trillian. There's time to sort out this mess. Really? Have you looked at the name of this club? It's Stavro's Club, isn't it? Here. Look at the menu cover. Trillian, how can you think of food at a... Oh, my God. The landlord's name is Stavro Muller. His first club in New York was named Alpha. This is his second club. Stavro Muller Beta. Oh. Oh, that's good. Very good. <laughs> well, thank Bob that's over. Who's Bob? A babelfish is small, yellow, leech-like, and probably the oddest thing in the universe. It feeds on brainwave energy, absorbing conscious frequencies and nerve signals picked up from the speech centers of the brain. The practical upshot of which is that if you stick one in your ear, you instantly understand anything said to you in any form of language. Another ability evolved by the babelfish is its tactic for self-preservation. Only one other aquatic creature in the universe has developed the babelfish's capacity for continuous probability transference in the picosecond before unavoidable destruction. Thus, as Earth's plural zone folds itself away like a card table after a particularly energetic hand of snap, the Babel fishes, their hosts, and any cetaceans in the vicinity simultaneously flick into existence in any alternative realities. In the case of Arthur Dent, this leads to several probabilities. 
one has been in existence for many years. And in the master bathroom aboard the Heart of Gold... Oh, last. <sighs> Eddie? Eddie? Hey there, monkey in the shower. Water too hot? Too cold? You'd prefer ass's milk, maybe? I've run out of shampoo. Can you ask Lintella to bring some in? Pleased to be of service. You wanted shampoo, Arthur? Gosh, thanks, Lintella. That was quick. Would you like us to scrub your back? Um, who's us? Well, there are now over 800,000 million Lintilla clones in the Brantisvogan Escort Agency. Good grief. And I thought I'd invite a few of my sisters aboard. Please you might. Your service. Oh, this is nice. Two shaving mirrors. Wow. Eddie, Please more hot water. Quick. No problem, old Another Arthur pops up in another time when yet another Earth hung like a blue opal in this corner of the galaxy. Come off it, Mr. Dent. You can't win, you know. There's no point in lining the path of progress. I've gone off the idea of progress. It's overrated. But you must realise you can't line the path of the bulldozers indefinitely. I'm game. We'll see who rusts first. Won't we, Fenchurch? Get stuffed, Prosser. This is our cottage. But perhaps the alternative that best suits the Babel fishes and their hosts is the convivial safety of a location and a time far, far removed from any uncertainty, improbability or sobriety. An infinite loop of bistromathics where dinner guests wait patiently for each other to turn up. Welcome, welcome one and all to Millerways, the restaurant at the end of the universe. I'm Max Quarterpleen. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome the disciples of the Great Green Ark of Seizure. Are you in tonight? <laughs> yes, they are. Do we have with us the minor deities from the halls of Asgard? Ford, last question, I promise. But if the Babelfish is so versatile, how come it's never saved my life, our lives, before? You didn't die before. So what happened to us? How will we saved? Ah, well, our scrape with death took place in a plural zone where organic life forms in the vicinity of the Babelfish share its kinetic bridge to all available dimensions and are transported too. The only other life forms who can make the jump are dolphins. Haven't you noticed what's outside the restaurant for miles and miles in every direction? Thousands of interlinked blue lagoons glowing under the stars. Filled with dolphins at play. The dolphins learned how to jump dimensions from the Babelfish. In return, the Babelfish learnt a thing or two about where to have a good time from the dolphins. Quid pro quo. Pass that old Jack spirit, Zafer. One for you, Ford baby. Two for me. Here's to the look on Trillian's face when she merged with Trisha. It was weird. One minute she was there, we were there. The next, it felt like we were two drops of water joining into one. I like you with blonde hair, mind. Come on, monkey man. Hurry up with that menu. I'm hungrier than a bug bladder beast in a weight loss clinic. You'll have to wait. Random's having a problem with the dish of the day. Oh, please eat me. I'd be delicious with pepper sauce. Oh, I want the veggie option. Waitress, can you bring over a talking cauliflower? Yes, sir, I will. Oh, um, is there a Mr. Beeblebrox on this table? Good grief. Dad? What is it? Fenchurch. Arthur! Hi! I wondered when you'd turn up. Oh, a phone call for you, Mr. Beeblebrox. Where, Where did, did you, you go? go? I, I searched, searched for months! months. I thought I'd wait for you. Well, how did you know I'd come back? Well, this seemed as good a place as any. You're still here? It's amazing. I know. Why am I Yep. This is the car park. You ordered a babe wash for your ship. Due to staff shortages, I am your babe. Marvin! 
I thought you were dead! Seems I was still under warranty. Sorry to disappoint you. Sorrier than you can possibly imagine. You're still parking cars here? Spend a few thousand million years in a job and eventually you get promoted. I have my own bucket now. Finally, I am somebody. Okay, metal man. How about giving the heart of gold a hot wax with full valet? That depends on whether or not I can find my Freddy apron. With my luck, I probably can. Waiter, a bottle of champagne to a beautiful lady on table 42. With my compliments. <gasps> oh, is that Thor? She could argue astrophysics with Einstein, but a set of biceps and a big hammer can instantly reduce her IQ to single numbers. And we have with us here tonight a party of believers from the Church of the Second Coming of the Great Prophet Zarquan. And boy, are we in luck tonight. Looky, 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 he's here in person. A big hand, please, for the great Parvid Zarquan! Oh, a very kind, yes. At last, an opportunity to say a few words on my own behalf to all who have taken my name in vain. Just a moment, please. Uh, yes? Prophet Zarquan, you are the last on my list. You are a tiresome, goggle-eyed pillock. A wow-bagger, the infinitely prolonged. Yes. You are a whinging sack of parrot droppings. And no longer immortal. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and Norse gods. <laughs> As everything draws to a close yet again, Let's all join together in the time-honored way. In that episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, Peter Jones and William Franklin were the book and Rula Lenska was the voice of the bird. Simon Jones played Arthur Dent, Jeffrey McGiven, Ford Prefect, Mark Wing Davy, Seyfard Beeblebrox, Susan Sheridan, Trillian, Sandra Dickinson was Trisha McMillan, Sam Bayar, Random, and Stephen Moore was Marvin. Griff Rhys Jones was Old Thrashbug, Roger Gregg played the bartender, Michael Kuehl, the Vogon helmsman, Dominic Hawksley, Thor, Andy Taylor, Grebulon leader, and Michael Fenton Stevens was the Grebulon lieutenant. Philip Pope was Elvis, Tom Maggs, the runner, Bruce Hyman, Prosser, and Toby Longworth was Prostetnik Vogon Juntz. Neil Sleet played the newsreader. Roy Hudd was Max Quadlepleen, and Agra Jag was Douglas Adams. The announcer was John Marsh, the surround mix was by Paul Dealey, and additional effects by Ken Humphrey and Paul Weir. The script editor was John Langdon, and the music was by Paul Wicks Wickens. The production manager was Joe Wheeler, and the production assistant was Susie Matthews. The programme was adapted, directed and co-produced by Dirk Maggs and the producers were Helen Chatwell and Bruce Hyman. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was an above-the-title production for BBC Radio 4 and it is affectionately dedicated to its author. Now here's a public information message. The large yellow Vogon ships hanging overhead are an hallucination. Do not be alarmed. There is nothing to worry about.
Just pour yourself several large drinks and open a packet of peanuts. You're going to need them. Got him. Where's the list? Here, sir. Ah, tick in the box. Ah, good. Helmsman? Aye, sir. Prostitnik Vogon Jilts. Ah, there you are. Set course for Erotic on Six. Time for a spot of shore leave with eccentric uh, Galumbit. <laughs> Before we blow her planet up. <laughs> you get off work? Just after the apocalypse. Will you come flying with me? Always.